Happy Friday. Hope everyone out there in Zinger Nation is having a good day so far. Let me know in the chat what you guys are watching today. Um, I've got my own watch list right now. I'll go ahead and pull up my portfolio while I'm waiting here for Spencer. Um, pretty good day so far. So I got into some Apple calls yesterday. I believe on the show I bought them live. Uh, Apple, of course, reported great earnings. Um, so I'll just give a little teaser here. Look at some other stocks I'm looking at right now. So actually at one point today, my Apple calls were down, even though Apple opened up like 3%, but Apple kept ripping. So those calls got up. I got into um, a, a BABA call that expires on February 18th. BABA reports earnings next Tuesday. Uh, that's a little, little risky, of course, into earnings. Anytime you're trading options into earnings, it's very risky, not advised. Um, but, you know, I did it. All right, that was just a quick little teaser. We will talk more about the different stocks on my watch list. Let's go ahead and get this show started. This is Ben Zinga Live. Spencer Israel and producer AB. What's up, everybody? How are we doing? Someone told me buy high, sell higher. So. Let's get Matt Hammond on the show to talk some IPOs. Jake Wojcik from Trend Spider. We have a breaking news. All right, guys. Let me know what everyone's looking at. We got we got a lot to talk about today. Um, first and foremost, Jim Cramer been in the news a lot recently, trending on Twitter. What's up, Moses from Sao Paulo? Love love having the international audience. Zinger Nation is worldwide. We got people from we got people from Brazil. We got people, Manuel, te amo, te amo tambien, donde eres? Um, Jim, Jim Cramer has been in the news recently. He went on a rant last night. I actually haven't watched it, but I saw it uh, on Twitter. Uh, he was like popping champagne, popping bottles, celebrating, celebrating arcs crash when back in february when when arc was at uh you know 155 he was saying kathy woods a genius all this yada yada look i don't know if this is bullish or not for arc either way i think arc is setting up for a swing trade i think a lot of these positions have gotten a little bit oversold um you know we saw yesterday kathy wood went out and bought the dip in tesla this was the first time in months and months and months that she that kathy wood actually added to her position in Tesla previously, she had been taking profits and trimming. Um, but after Tesla traded down after Tesla's earnings report, Kathy would say, hey, it's time to finally buy some more shares. So she got back into Tesla. Another another stock that I love that's in Kathy Wood's portfolio is DocuSign. So I'm, I'm going to switch over to my Benzinga Pro for a second. If you guys don't have Benzinga Pro, you get a free two-week trial, no credit card needed. It's so easy to sign up. It, it's really a one-stop shop for all info you need for any anything stock related right you want to know when a company reports earnings boom in benzinga pro you want any you want any headlines boom in benzinga pro live audio squawk in benzinga pro um so let me pull this up uh Ro okay so roku again these are stocks within arc that i like right now roku DocuSign. I'm pulling up DocuSign real quick because here's what I think is interesting. DocuSign was one of these stocks that went crazy during COVID. 
and and rightfully so. I mean, right? It it was a it was a COVID play. It makes sense. People that used to, I don't know who in 2019 was still using uh, physical contracts and not using DocuSign, but either way, there were a lot of people, I guess, that were still using that. You know, using paper, signing paper contracts, and, and during COVID had to switch over to DocuSign. So pre-COVID, right? I'll give you a couple zooms here. DocuSign was about $90 a share. It dipped when everything else dipped in March, but then ripped all the way up. Uh, 270 all-time highs. Let's see what we're looking at. Uh, uh, right above 300. So it went from 90 to 300, got a little overextended, had that crappy earnings report, legged down, continue to trade lower. Now we're at 116, right? So take all this price movement from COVID aside. We were at 90 pre-COVID and we're at 115 now. Um... So here, let's do let's do some quick math. Pulling out my my trusty dusty calculator, ninety to one fifteen. So the stock's up twenty seven percent in two years. That's not terrible. But here's where I think that you know something's missing. When we go to the financials, which again, this is this is the great part about Benzinga Pro: charts, financial statements, income statements, everything you could ever need. We have more than a 25% growth in gross profit, right? The three months, July 2020, $250 million in gross profit, now 430. So again, let's do some quick math. 250, 250 to 430. That's a 72% increase. So... DocuSign is making 72% more money than it was two years ago, but the stock is only up 25%. And again, this sell-off, this, this, you know, some of these stocks like Roku that went crazy during COVID, the drawback's healthy, right? They did get a little overextended. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think the fair value for DocuSign stock right now uh, is more in the 150 range. I'm not looking for it to go all the way back up to 300 where it was during during COVID. No, but do I think it's it's DocuSign has a chance to go from 115, 116 a share to 150, 100 percent. Congrats, Easy Mike, another grandchild for Easy Mike. Boom, love that. Happy Friday, good vibes, all Zinger Nation. Um. Again, let me know what you guys are watching. So I'm just looking at the at the uh, our BZ wire here, seeing if I've seen any big headlines. Um, well, let's do let's do some more. Let's keep this theme going. Let's keep looking at Kathy Wood stocks that I that I like right now. Unity, right? Unity, just like DocuSign, just like Roku, got a little overextended. Unity got all the way up to over two hundred dollars a share. Now is all the way back at ninety. And here's the thing. I'm not saying these grow stocks. I'm not saying I'm not saying DocuSign, Unity, uh, anything in the Arc portfolio that's more growth and tech related. I'm not saying okay, the weakness is over. Time time to come in and buy the dip. Well, I, I am buying the dip, but I'm not saying like I, I'm dollar cost averaging in because what I'm anticipating is that this weakness could continue for another five percent, with another ten percent. But do I want to start getting in now? Yeah, of course. I'm not trying to time the bottom exactly perfectly. So I added to my position in DocuSign. I added to my position in Unity. If they continue to dip, what do I do? I'll add to my position in 
uh, more as they go lower. Um, so I don't, I don't, I just don't want anyone out there to be confused right now with my sentiment. I'm not saying that okay, t you know, weakness in tech is over. Cues are going to start coming back up. It's just look, you can look at some of these things and see uh, where there where there might be an arbitrage in fair value. And I would argue that for DocuSign right now, um, it, it's gotten a little oversold. When looking at the fundamentals, when looking at the financials, not even taking into account the growth aspect, right? DocuSign has a great moat. DocuSign in the business world is a verb, just like Google is. Hey, Google this. Hey, can you DocuSign this? Uh, DocuSign does have competitors. There's a service out there called HelloSign. Uh, Adobe offers a similar service. But at the end of the day, you know, everyone's going to have competitors. It's about who is the who is the leader. And in this space, DocuSign is clearly 100% the leader. And their moat is still strong. Um, Google, too. I mean, Google, from, from, a, from a financial fundamental standpoint, right? Let's look at the overview. 23 PE, a seven price to sales. Uh, let's look at what the, the S&P average is on, on price to sales. Um, here we go. S&P average price to sales. Okay, so so seven's still a little high, um, but what? But look at this: Amazon, Amazon price to sales, three. Baba, Baba price to sales, two point three. Um, so you know, I don't know. I'm not saying I, I think, I do think Arc is setting up for a swing trade, um, but. There are individual names within ARC that I also like. So you have a number of different ways to play these. Uh, you know, we see, we saw, welcome, Spencer. Hey, welcome. I mean, I'm welcome to myself. What's up? How are we doing? So you missed my, my rant on DocuSign. No, no, I was hearing it. I was listening. Okay. So basically my point was the revenue has grown. The gross profit has grown about 70% from two years ago, yet the stock price yeah. has only grown 25%. Uh, going back two years? That was going back to pre-COVID levels. Yeah, okay. DocuSign was at ninety dollars a share. Got all the way up to three hundred dollars a share during COVID, uh, which which it was a COVID play. It makes sense, and then it did get overextended. Yep. and is now oversold. Yep, and there's currently value in the stock while it's also a growth stock. Um, but I don't know if you saw last night on on uh, Kramer. I didn't. So ARKK, he went on like a, he was like celebrating ARKK's collapse. When back in February, he was cheerleading it. Yeah, he he essentially top ticked ARKK back in February. Now is celebrating the collapse, and now ARKK <laughs> is up five percent. Wait, um, yeah, can we? Can you, the market today is doing some weird shit? Wait, but just, just to finish the point on DocuSign. So I think the broader point is like there are companies that have value. You're gonna have to go and dive into the weeds though, and look at the look at the financials of these because like. Not everything. All right, there's there are some companies within ARKK that are never coming back, never coming back. But some of them will. But in order to know that, you're gonna have to go and do look at what do what he's doing right now. Right. He's, this is what this is what I was showing on Benzinga Pro. Right. right. We can go to the income statement. Yeah, you're gonna have um, to look at the cat the look at the free cash flow. So this was Spencer. This is saying the three months ending July 31st. Correct. You're on the left. Huh? Are you? You're on the. You're, 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 no, on the right. 
Oh, you're pointing to your screen. Oh, I, I, I pulled a, I pulled a Joel. <laughs> no, but I had my I had my cursor there too. All right, I didn't see your cursor. Yeah, the three months. That's right. The three months ending July 31st, 2020. So this was right after COVID started. Uh, um, yep. Kinda, you know. So 250 million gross profit. That mm-hmm. grows to 285. Grows to 329. Gro- grows to 363. We go in two years from 251 to 430. Again, we did the math, 70% increase in gross profit. Um, and I understand that that revenue growth can't be expected because they grew because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, either way. I, look, now, and maybe we should devote, I think this is what we'll do going forward, not today, but I think we're going to devote like a weekly segment to explaining fundamentals fundamentals like like free cash flow is super important let okay me, let me let me address adjusted oh, adjusted ebitda is very important i was gonna say we should do it we should do a 15 second uh or 15 minute thing on ebitda because i, I luke and i actually talked a lot about ebitda last it, night and he luke is it's confusing luke's very good at doing like quick valuations of companies being able to look at an income statement look at a balance sheet and determine like is there value here or not mm. um yeah and i've always ebitda has always been kind of one of those things that's like gone over my it's not really all over my head i've just never like taken the time to like why do people care about this um but but luke explained it in a way that made a lot of sense last night so maybe next oh Thursday he explained we'll, it better than me i guess i didn't yeah, I, yeah spencer did try to explain it to me the other day it and didn't then work luke, right. uh, we did it last night so maybe next thursday when luke comes on that we can spend a few minutes on the ebitda um but i yeah. want to address yeah. talk to me goose's question he said so ab on that would you rather swing arkk as a whole or swing the individual stocks oh, that make up arkk i have a take here I think I think. Um, so I guess it's like a would you, I can't say both because it's like a would you rather because I I do think Arc is setting up for I, a swing trade and I am going to play that. But with that said, there are names within Arc that I'm more bullish on, are more high conviction, like DocuSign, um, than Arc as a whole. Because like Spencer said, there are certain names in there. Like, did you see she keeps adding DNA like every day? Like, those companies are not as interesting to me as these companies like DocuSign that are making a lot of money right now. Um, if you're saying you would you rather, if the question is, would you rather swing the fund or the stuff in the fund? I'd rather swing the stuff in the fund. The I think fu- so too. The fund itself, like by nature of it being a fund, is is not gonna have the beta, i.e., the volatility of the stocks in it. That's just for that's how ETFs, that's how funds work, right? So, uh, if if you're going for 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 movement, if you're going for like alpha. Then yeah, you should probably try to swing at, at an at an individual stock, and not swing for the whole. Uh, not and when I say swing, I mean like swing as in swing at the pitch. You should probably like go for an individual name rather than um, the whole fund if you're trying to get a short term trade on right for a short term swing swing trade or whatever. Um, but for anything longer term, I again, I, I my bias is always more towards the fund because it's diversified for a longer term play. For the short term plays, you're trying to you know catch a knife or call a bottom or whatever. I'd rather I'd rather you know give me one of those names. Don't give me because the, the whole fund won't just it won't it won't rebound as much if if, if compared to like you know the winners. Um, but anyway. Speaking of Luke, uh, Luke said yesterday he wants to come on the show more. So I think we're going to extend his segment every single Thursday, and I think we can devote part of that time to doing a deep dive on on, on one fundamental metric, whether it's EBITDA, whether it's free cash flow, whether it's a, free, uh, whether it's a, a type of 
financial statement. There are three financial statements, right? There's the balance sheet, there's a statement of cash flows, and there's the uh, the um, uh, the income statement, right? Uh, we can just do a walkthrough of that with Luke. He's a pro with that stuff. Uh, we can run through ratios. We can EBITDA is a ratio. We can run through anything, something as basic as market cap, right? We we can we can do. I think we should because this is a fundamental kind of market. So I I, I think we really should spend some time on that. Um, and, and we will going forward. So Yeah, and that's the, that's the thing is you have different style traders out there, right? You have technical traders. You have fundamental mm -hmm. traders. It's not a bad idea to be able to understand it all, right? Should and, I? Yeah. And be able to incorporate certain things from fundamental analysis. Should I reach out? My, my dad's cousin. My dad's cousin is the head of account, the accounting department at Seton Hall University. Should I like, try to get him on the show? Yeah. We should do more. We should try to bring on more uh people that are at like universities all right i'll try to reach out to my dad's cousin like an economics professor that uh specializes in supply chain issues. you know stuff like yeah. that i feel like there's a lot of people uh in the academic space that love to come on to shows like this and love to uh you know be experts yeah uh manuel says don't need to stall hot stocks luke you missed him manuel yesterday yeah or he was on yesterday you're a day late and a dollar short um dude we didn't talk hoodie yet, did we we have not. I have no clue, like, what the hell is going on with Hood. Can we pull up a chart? Yeah. yeah I'm going to pull up my chart. Also, our first guest is supposed to be here right Holy now. Holy shit. I'm not sure where, not sure Seven, where he's it's at. It's up 7%. So, okay, okay, okay. I, I have thoughts, and this does not pertain to Robin. This does not pertain to Robin Shelley, Hood who is specifically. The British guy? What? She said, bring the British guy back. I know who she's talking about, but I kind of forget. Wait. The, the, um. He was, like, an expert in something. I think he was a supply chain guy. Or shipping logistics, maybe. Wait, are are you talking about um, uh, oh, fuck, what is his name? Um, yeah, TJ. I don't know why Spencer's screen is so much easier to see than mine. I'll figure that out though. Is your background white? No, but it's not that. Like, okay, look, <laughs> even with the black thing. Wait, wait, it, can you bring it's up? It's like smaller than yours. Is the chart itself is like bigger than mine? Dude, you gotta go to chart mode. I know. Okay, <laughs> I know. <laughs> but look, look. All right. Hold on. Once it loads, here. Let's do Look, you have a black background. Let's give it a little refresh. I oh, know you got a white background. You got a black background. I know, You're, but even okay. Background aside, your axis is small. The, look at the difference in the chart. It's because it's, it, it's shorter. It's because it's it's because the background's white, dude. Is that really the only difference? No, no. I think mine might be zoomed in a little bit. No, but see, when I try to zoom mine in, it makes it smaller. Um, I honestly don't. If I zoom know. out, it doesn't really help uh, either. I don't know. Oh. Young investor? Is that who you're talking about? That's not who she's talking about. No, no. We had a guy, a, a no, real I, adult on. Yeah, an actual adult. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. So Hood, Hood here. Okay, let's go to the Hood chart. Um, obviously, what you're seeing today in Hood is not unique to Hood. This is an entire market thing, right? Someone had a great comment about what time is the rug pull. This is a, a broad market move. Look at the Qs today. Come on, Qs. There you go. Look at the SPY today. Apple today. Apple is going to be your probably your 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 big story. It is your biggest component in the S and P. Apple is up five, almost six percent after uh, spending the entire pre market session today going down. It basically went down from four a.m. to like nine a.m. Right, and then has been straight up since the open. But um, okay, so this is a. This is the first thing I'll say. This is a broad market rally. There is nothing special about Hood as it pertains to today's rally. 
Let's be clear about that. This is not a Robin Hood specific thing. This is a broad market thing. If the market rolls over, which it probably will, Hood's going with it. Let's don't think that don't act like Robin Hood is, is some special stock. No. Stocks move they move in relationships. They move with the rest of the market. So Hood will roll over if the market goes too. Now, if the market keeps going, then Hood could keep going. I don't know. I, I disagree. No, no. Okay, fine, but you're wrong. No. Well, how, <laughs> what? Okay. No. This is, there was nothing fundamental about this move today in Robin Hood. I agree with that, but I just don't agree that it's... Yeah, I, thank you, Jay Rice. There's nothing... I, I, I agree that there's nothing fundamental. Uh, well, maybe, maybe short covering. Okay, that, that could be a fundamental catalyst. But just because the market's going up, I mean, look at look at other companies that have recently reported terrible or- earnings reports that have legged down. Netflix, right, was down twenty percent. Snapchat reported bad earnings a couple quarters ago was down fifteen percent. Okay, so you so you so have the, the market wasn't down fifteen. Okay, so you have day. short to the short. Co- let me address the short covering note. So you have some short covering, and that's it giving that maybe that's providing some buying pressure. All right, I'll give you that. I suppose you got some you got more buyers and sellers because you got some you got, you got some shorts, you know. Uh, taking their profits today. Cool. That's fine. But this was a bad report. This was an objectively terrible earnings report. Right. Right. So there's no reason the stock should go high. There's no fundamental reason as it pertains to the company that the stock should be going higher. And the point you were just making about was is Netflix, right? Because these companies that trade like this after earnings, it's because of that has nothing to do with the overall market. I'm saying right now it does because the whole market's using moving in unison. It's moving together. So you brought up Netflix, right? Uh, their report. Right. So look, Netflix is down right now. Right. Their report was pretty good. Oh, actually, I don't even. I, I don't remember Netflix's report. No, they said they. I'm not uh, gonna lie. I don't remember it. They missed. They was missed. Bad? Their, they missed their own subscriber. Oh, uh, that's right. It was bad. They, it was they, bad. They estimated 8.5 million new subscribers. They came in at 8.28. How do you remember that? That was like last week. I don't remember yesterday. I don't know. All right. Yeah, Netflix's report was not good. Um, Microsoft is a good example here. Microsoft's report was very good. I think Hood's. I think Hood's move is just indicative of how like uh, weird the market. Like the markets are not. I mean, it's unpredictable. Hood, Hood is up seven percent after one of the. Do you want to come not, on? Do you want to gloat, Luke? I think Luke wants to gloat here. I'm not sure why. Because oh, I know why. Because he bought. Didn't he? Didn't you buy an official Hood like two days ago or something? What's going on here? I mean, we bought fourteen dollar calls for fifty cents. <laughs> we still got a long way to go. All right, so so <laughs> when's the expiration? When's the Today. So so Luke, what what is your take on why uh, why Hood is up right now? Five and Va- valuation, baby. I think it's it's a hundred percent valuation. Okay, the 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 company put out. So so what we what we said yesterday is we said we think revenue is going to be a beat. Barely was by a hair, barely was by a hair, but but new user numbers were concerning. That's why the stock traded down initially. Uh, but but revenue was decent. I think it was about three hundred and sixty million. I think they guided for Q one about three hundred and forty million. Uh, so so let's call that an annual run rate of somewhere one point. Uh, let, let, let's call that somewhere. What is that? One point. One billion dollar yeah. r- run rate per year, yeah, something like that. So, so if if it's at a one point one billion dollar run rate per year, stocks at a let's call it eight and a half billion dollar valuation, um, you've got a high growth company that's just trading at eight times sales. So, so, so I think it's totally valuation related. 
Yeah, and I mean, Luke and I were going through the report last night, and some of the numbers didn't even didn't look terrible, but they're they're comparing the previous quarter to the last quarter of 2020. And think about the last quarter of 2020. We we were in the middle of the retail trading boom from COVID. Yeah, it was, but it was we hadn't gotten, GameStop. We hadn't gotten to AMC. We hadn't gotten to GameStop. We hadn't gotten to Dogecoin. So we really didn't see that explosive growth in Robinhood's user base until Q2 of last year. Um, so I think the next earnings report from Robinhood will be even more interesting because they'll they'll be forced to, to compare their numbers from Q2 2020 or 2021, sorry, which will be almost impossible to live up to. Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. And, and, and I mean, what, what's important is the sequential numbers. You're making a really good point, right? Right. It's a quarter over quarter in a business that any business, right. That, that, that's high growth, highly volatile. It's the sequential numbers. And, and then the guidance that that's really important. Um, there I'll, I'll give you one other tidbit. If you're thinking about trading, trading the stock, uh, there, there's one other tidbit to be aware of. Um, this is like one text sentence sentence in the press release. Uh, but but Robinhood said uh, it expects trading activity to pick up in the second half of Q1 versus the first half of Q1, which is very bullish, right? So so let's say the estimates for next quarter are 340. Uh, trading activity is, is going to pick up according to the company. It, it could be another place for, for the revenue beat. But again, uh, what, what matters in, in this world? Pull, pull up Netflix. Pull up Netflix daily chart. NFL Netflix, or it's on uh, Spencer's computer right now. All right, I don't know how to use this. All right, I made it up. No, it's fine. It, it, we can just imagine. There we go. I got it. All right, so we're gonna look at Netflix daily chart. NFLX. All right, there the you go. Well, a lot of growth in tech stocks are up. I mean, ARKK is up about. Well, well here, here's what, here's the point I'm making. Hold on one second, AB. So, so, so look at Netflix dive bombed after their earnings, right? Dive bomb stock cratered. Why it was a user count number. Um, so 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 that's what I'm going to be look on the lookout for 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 Hood and all the brokerage stocks uh, throughout Q1. I like it. I um Good. I just got to address this in the chat real quick. Um, Darren was asking about my Apple calls. I got into some Apple calls yesterday before before uh, the company reported earnings. I mean everyone. <laughs> everyone was so bearish right not apple but just everything in particular saying oh my god you know tech it you know tech is so weak right now which it has been but at the end of the day when when it when i feel like everyone's saying one thing it makes me think like okay the others you know apple may have a chance to like come in and really and apple reported one of the best quarters if not the best quarter of any company ever apple reported 123 billion dollars in revenue over 30 billion dollars in gross profit um to put this into into some perspective i mean there's about 90 days in a quarter to make 120 billion dollars you're making you're making like 1.3 billion dollars a day mm -hmm. um so let me zoom in over here my apple call up and, and can i can i make one one really quick ask producer ab because i gotta course. hop in a second yeah all right guys uh, the platform that we're always using or often using to, to, to show our trades right now, ABS is brokerage account up. Can you pull back up Benzinga Pro? Yes, sir. It, it's called Benzinga Pro. 
This is something that, like, like when you don't see me on on stream or you see, you know, Aaron Bree, you don't have 24 hours of life when we're behind the scenes. This is what we're working on. It, it, it's it's a real time news data analytics platform. Whole goal was basically to give institutional level of uh, information to individual investors. Um, and this is the thing that we really, really grind on work on 24 seven. It, it's a totally free two week trial. So, so you don't need a credit card or anything like that. So, so if you want to help us out, go check it out. Start a trial. We've been dropping a ton of trades this week, share, sharing our wins, our losses. We'll be doing the same thing next week. I actually have a hot, hot pick for you for next week, producer AB. Are you gonna give it to me now, or is that a tease no, for no, next no. week? No, no, I'm doing it next week. All right, let's do it. We'll, we'll we're sure we're gonna have so, some so, math, so but I, but check out Benzinga Pro. So it I, would help us out if if you go and start a trial. Yeah, and I'll drop that link in the chat for the trial. But what I was showing you guys with DocuSign earlier is whether you're a technical trader or whether you're a fundamental trader, you can get value um, from Benzinga Pro, right? I I was looking at the income statement when I compared. Uh, DocuSign's revenue. Uh, and one more time for people that have just joined us, this is what I pointed out earlier, right? You look at the revenue, uh, or sorry, gross profit for, for DocuSign, 250 million uh, in the quarter ending July 31st, 2020. That goes up 75% to 430 million, yet the stock is only up 25%. The stock was trading at $90 pre-COVID, and is now at 115. It, it did get overextended. Now it's oversold. This is one of those within Arc that I absolutely love right now. We did see some insider buying. DocuSign CEO added. Um, let's let's pull that up real quick because this is this is a cool cool tool as well. All you have to do is Google Benzinga Insider Trades. Pops up right here. Um, I like to throw some filters up here. So what I'll do is go 01 01 2022 um, end date 01 today 28 2022 so now we can see all of the insider buys in the last month um and then i'll sort by size see who, who made the biggest insider trades over the past month all right this one uh oh wow okay so this was a sell uh costco's executive vp sold more than uh 1.5 million here wait it's not there we go all right so this first one, John Hancock, that's a trust. It's a, it, it, that's not really an insider buy. We see four buys from Dustin Moskovitz, the CEO of Asana. Uh, totaling, so, so 73 million, 68 million, 48 million, 48 million. So let's do some quick math. Uh, we'll call that 50, 50, 100, uh, 170, 240. Yeah, we'll call it about 235 million. This guy's bought $235 million worth of stock in the last month alone. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that tells me like, hey, this guy's pretty bullish. Oh, wait, no, there's, a, there's another one. I missed this one. Another $45 million. Oh, my. I mean, this guy, Dustin Moskovitz, has added so much Asana stock. Um, let me find the DocuSign one because I know that's on here, too. Let's go. We can search by ticker. Hey, we got to bring on our next guest. Daniel Springer, president and CEO. Last thing, Spencer, we're bringing our next guest. Yeah. He's done three ads in the last two months, uh, totaling about $10 million. I love to see that. I love to see the insiders insiders buying. Uh, oh, Jason wants MKTW. That's not a... Is, is, is MarketWatch publicly traded? Market, no. Oh, market-wise. Yeah. I don't see... There's no, no in, insider trades for... Why does it? 
I don't know. We'll get that figured out. I don't know. Wait, okay, so here's what's going to happen because we're running a little bit behind schedule. I'm going to bring on our 1230 guest right now. And, uh, Terry, I see you backstage. I'm, I'm going to send, send you a message right now. But let's bring on uh, Mick, 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 uh, Mick uh, Farrell or Pharrell? Mick, I'm going to have to get a correct, uh, some clarifications from you on that. But we're talking to ResMed here, and Mick is the CEO. But let's give Mick the special intro. Can we give Mick the special intro? Let's Aaron? do it. Where's Mick? Mick, uh, is it is it Farrell or Pharrell? I'm sorry. It's Mick Farrell. It's Farrell. Australian. It's actually Irish Australian. So I'm not offended that you didn't get the accent perfectly right there, Spencer. <laughs> I I try to only mispronounce one name a week, so this week it was yours. Congratulations. Uh, so t- tell us about ResMed and uh, what you're working on right now. Yeah, so ResMed uh, stands for Respiratory Medicine. Uh, we are the world's leader in respiratory medicine. So think med tech, think medical devices and technology. Uh, We're a digital health company, um, but we're in the space of sleep apnea, COPD and asthma, three of the world's biggest chronic respiratory diseases. And we're also in the field of software as a service for what we call residential medicine. You can think of ResMed also being residential medicine, medicine at home. And what we do is we are the world's leader in manufacturing medical devices to help people with uh, all respiratory diseases. So if they suffocate at night with sleep apnea, there's one billion people worldwide who suffocate with sleep apnea. We take care of that, stop them suffocating and treat them. We're on 16 million uh, bedside tables around the world doing that every night. We also take care of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease that impacts 380 million people worldwide. We treat people for that with ventilation uh, and cloud-connected inhalers for their medicines. And then the third disease state we treat is asthma. Again, we provide cloud-connected medical devices that allow them to get their medical care for their asthma. And our third business, of course, is software as a service. And that is software as a service for home medical equipment, home health, hospice, skilled nursing facilities, and so on. So about $3 billion trailing 12 months revenue, about $30 billion market cap. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the, the cloud-connected thing. I'm, I guess I'm just not – maybe call me old-fashioned. Call me uh, someone straight out of the 90s. But, like, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that, like, you can, you can offer a treatment and then, like, have the data uploaded to the cloud. I, I guess, like, how – how common is that? I, I, maybe outside of just what you're doing, because I just to me that just seems kind of wild. Yes, yeah, Spencer. Actually, it's a, it, it is a bit of a, a revolution, if you like, in the medical device industry. I mean, seven years ago, we launched a platform called the AirSense Ten. Uh, we've actually just now launched the next generation called AirSense Eleven. But when we did that, it was pretty revolutionary in the medtech space. Um, in uh, we, I call it a reverse Amazon. Right. So Amazon was a software company that created 100 percent connectivity in the Kindle hardware so that they could sell more software, more books at the time. Right. That was why they created the hardware of the Kindle to sell more software. ResMed up until 2014 was a hardware company. We made the medical devices, the hardware, but we put in 100% cloud connectivity for the first time in the medtech industry, 100% cloud connectivity in 2014. And this was before it was cool to say the internet of things, right? We were doing the internet of medical things, but it was a reverse Amazon play, 100% cloud connectivity in every CPAP, APAP, bi-level and ventilator that we make. And what that does 
is it liberates the data to the cloud Spencer and allows um, us to then unlock those now 10 billion nights of medical data in the cloud to give to individual patients like Spencer or Mick that we can then pull up on an app on our own phones. Uh, we can pull up uh, our, our own medical data. And then what it provides is gamification, if you like, at the individual level. We have now over what? 10 billion nights of data and 16 million patients uh, in, our, in our ecosystem, but 4 million of them have the app. And what that does is like it gets you in gamification in consumer tech. So Instagram, Facebook and, and all those uh, uh, consumer tech companies, what they want you to do is click and engage so they can sell you on the advertising side. Sure, we don't sure. do that. We don't turn the person into the, into the product. What we do is engage you in your medical care so that you use your CPAP device every night. You get better sleep, better breathing. We keep you out of hospital and you have a better quality of life for the long term. So that's what we're doing. We're using all the sort of AI and ML intelligence from consumer tech on gamification and turning it into better sleep, better breathing, better medical care, lower costs, lower risk of death and improved outcomes for the patient, better quality of life. Uh, TJ in the chat says uh, he's a customer. So uh, TJ, give us your unabashed. This is your chance, TJ. Give Mick your feedback. Tell him what you don't like. He'll fix it. This is your this is your one and only shot, um, Mick. Uh, just you know how for those who don't know how big a, of a of a of a problem how how large is the sleep apnea market right now? How many people are affected by this? Yeah, it's it's a monster market, Spencer. We have over one. Then this is from peer-reviewed published evidence epidemiology. It's not just the CEO of the number one player in this space, but the the epidemiology data are really clear. Uh, they show over 936 million people worldwide are suffocating every night. And, and that's, you know, so close to 1 billion people worldwide with sleep apnea, obstructive sleep apnea, medically significant, who need our therapy. One of the difficulties, Spencer, you know, is that it's called sleep apnea. And the sleep part means you're unconscious when you right. suffocate from it, right? So the person who knows is your bed partner. They say, oh, you know, Mick snores or, or uh, you know, Mick, Mick mm. makes this weird noise every now and again, and, and it troubles their sleeping, which is, is, is how it manifests itself. But the individual is in denial because sleep apnea, you don't know about it. You think it's normal to wake up with a headache, be tired during the day. Uh, you don't know that it's causing high blood pressure or risk of heart attack or stroke. You just think that you've got this, oh, you know, weird bed partner who says you snore or suffocate. But our challenge and our biggest opportunity is to help those billion people get identified, engaged and enrolled in a digital pathway for screening, diagnosis, treatment and management. But, yeah, look, just to answer your question succinctly, it's a billion people worldwide. You add in COPD and asthma, that's up to 1.4, 1.5 billion people worldwide. One in five people on the planet suffer from a respiratory medical disorder. Our job here yeah. at ResMed is to help them find a path to better sleep, better breathing, and better care. Yeah, I'm one of those asthmatics, and I, I believe I did have sleep apnea when I was a, when I was a baby, and then my mom would just hit me, and then that was it. Uh, you know, just like 
You know, that worked. Every, I, didn't, I didn't need one of your machines. I had my mom to just slap me in the back of the head and it worked every time. So. <laughs> yes, but so that, that is not a medical uh, uh, appropriate <laughs> approach to, uh, to sleep suffocation. Please don't hit your Oh, bed. now you tell me. Now you tell me. Where were you 30 years ago? <laughs> but uh, but no, seriously, actually, a lot of people do. The bed partner does push them and, and just yeah. shove them to stop them suffocating, and then they feel good they're breathing again. The trouble is then the bed partner, eventually, they get so tired, they fall asleep, and right, then we need right. the medical care, which is to help them breathe all night. Yeah. Uh, so I am curious about, and TJ in the chat asks us as well, but I, I would be very curious to know what your, the impact of COVID was on, on, on the business. Huge impacts of COVID. Um, look, COVID impacted the whole world. It impacted the whole medical care system. We saw actually at the start of COVID a big reduction in the flow of patients getting diagnosed with sleep apnea, COPD and asthma because nobody was going to get uh, medical care, primary care and so on. But that has slowly and steadily come back and we're probably somewhere between 85 and 100% of pre-COVID patient flow. Okay. <clears throat> you know, and that's in our sleep apnea business, our COPD business and our asthma yeah. business. One thing we did, though, Spencer, in 2020, uh, we have this little small part of our business, single-digit percentage in ventilation. Um, we Ooh. had to quintuple 500% the production rate of our life support ventilator called Astral. So we made 500% of the flow of those life support ventilators. We made 350% uh, of our flow of all of our non-invasive and life support ventilators. We made 150,000 ventilators from January one to June 30 in 2020, and we responded to this wow. sort of acute phase of the COVID crisis, and we're really part of that emergency response. Uh, we had the White House Trump at the time, uh, the DPA, they had a Defense Production Act, where they right. said that people had to prioritize parts and pieces for ventilators. We were able to get those 150,000 ventilators to 140 countries worldwide. We helped people in Wuhan, China at the start of this, Milan, Italy, as it went, New York City, uh, across the world, uh, you know, through to Brazil and then India. But, you know, what's interesting now, two years on, we sort of had the peak, the ebb and the and then and now we're down to the to back to normal, if you like, flow of, of ventilators. But it taught us to flex our supply chain so that now right. with with another thing happening post COVID, which is a supply chain crisis on semiconductors and parts and pieces, that learning around the supply chain and maximizing ventilators we're now applying to our core business of CPAPs, APAPs, and bi-levels for sleep apnea treatment. And we're now having to ramp up our production of that because a competitor just went into a major recall. So we now have to do almost a replay of the movie from the start of COVID uh, with what I call a perfect storm, Spencer. Uh, COVID recovery, supply chain crisis, and a competitor recall. That means we now have to flex up and meet this almost infinite demand that's going to last all of 2022 for ResMed. Hey, Mick, Aaron here, AB. Thank you for uh, coming on the show today. I have a quick question. So I I recently read a book called Breathe by James Nestor. You may be uh, familiar with it in your industry. He talks a lot about sleep apnea and, and the adverse effects that come with that. Um, but, but he also speaks about how a lot of people that have trouble breathing through their nose are able to kind, to, to kind of, uh, you know, work through that and improve the function uh, of, of their nasal cavities, of being able to breathe through their nose. Have you seen like a lot of your patients be able to get off of, of the CPAP machines or for the most part, is it, you know, once you're on it, you're, you're kind of you're stuck with that treatment for, for a while for the rest of your life? Yeah, Aaron, look, it's, 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 it's an interesting um, thought. And there is, there is a lot you can do with uh, training your airway and others to, to help. 
one of the troubles is there's, there's 200 muscles and fatty tissue from your nasal cavity through the upper airway, the uvula, down to the esophagus. And, and the, di the, the difficulty with it is sleep apnea impacts across that environment. So, look, if you just have a, a deviated navel, nasal sep uh, septum or some issue like that, then maybe surgery can help some, some ENT surgery. But the trouble is when sleep apnea impacts the whole upper airway, the, the only truly 100% effective therapy, if used, is nasal positive airway pressure nasal continuous positive airway pressure, which is which is abbreviated to CPAP. And so it's the number one frontline treatment. We also, look, ResMed stands for residential medicine, not for CPAP. So, you know, the vast majority, 90, 95% of our patients are treated with CPAP. We also make a 3D printed dental device that can pull your jaw forward just by two, three, five millimeters to pull your tongue off the uvula, off the back of the airway. So 3D printed dental device called Narval. It's the number one treatment uh, for dental uh, sleep apnea in France, Germany, across Western Europe, Northern Europe. So we're the number one provider for that. We've also invested in a te technology out of Israel um, uh, that we make in Belgium uh, in a company called Nixoa, which is actually on uh, the NASDAQ exchange. They floated. N-Y-X-O-A-H is the company that does a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. So it's an implant metal that sits on your hypoglossal nerve and then stimulates the hypoglossus to pull your tongue off the back of the uvula as well. Look, CPAP is the best treatment. It's non-invasive. It is literally, you know, 2% of atmospheric pressure, humidified air, perfectly attuned. Now, you know, it doesn't look amazing on the face. You have to wear a mask at night. People say, well, it's not sexy therapy. I actually say it is sexy therapy because male hormone and female hormone is released during REM sleep, which you only get REM sleep if you are not suffering from sleep apnea. So it's sexy therapy because you wake up, you take the mask off and you have estrogen or testosterone back. But look, the bottom line oh, yeah. is there are some other treatments. Um, I, I would say that if you go talk to your pulmonary doctor, uh, your ENT doctor, your primary care doctor, they'll say number one treatment is CPAP. Number two is dental uh, and number three would be a surgical hypoglossal nerve stem. But really, you, you want to try the lowest cost, most effective, non-invasive first, which is which is where ResMed focuses, which is CPAP and APAP and, and bi-level. Got it. Thank you. Uh, have you checked out that book before? If you if you haven't, you you should. It's it's right up your alley. You know, I haven't read that one. Uh, the book that I'd recommend if you if you're interested in it is uh, in the field. It's a great book by a, a PhD from UC Berkeley, and it's called. Why We Sleep, Why We Sleep by uh, Professor Matthew Walker, PhD, uh, I think he's MD, PhD, out of, uh, out of UC Berkeley. It, it will scare you, Aaron, because when you realize that 33% of your life, not just the REM sleep thing on hormones, the deleting of all the synapses, of all the stress from the day before, the resetting of your brain, everything we learn. You know, Newton was having a nap when the apple hit him and he came up with the theory of gravity. Einstein was daydreaming in a nap when he woke up with the theory of general relativity and Archimedes fell asleep in the bath and then woke up and uh, discovered the theory of replacement, displacement. So I don't know what the great theory or great investment, Aaron, you're going to come up with after a great uh, seven hours of sleep. But if you're not getting seven hours of sleep, that book, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker, will remind you of how important it is to get a good night's sleep and to breathe well during it.
Perfect. Well, not not advised to fall asleep in the bathtub, but I guess it worked out for uh, for him. But uh, all right, Mick, thank you again for coming on the show. We'll make a deal. I'll read your book, Why We Sleep. You read my book, Breathe by James Nuster. We'll have a little book club. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about our takeaways. Fantastic, Aaron. Hey, thanks a lot for the recommendation. I actually think one of my investors sent me the Breathe book as well. So I've got now two recommendations. It, it, it's it's, it's incredible. It's an incredible book. I've read it and while I was reading. It, I thought to myself, like, this is one of those books I could recommend to every single person in my life because we all breathe and you learn something from it about why breathing is so important. And he talks a lot about sleep as well because uh, the author suffers from sleep apnea and he talks about, OK, you have sleep apnea, then your sleep suffers. Then when your sleep suffers, this happens. So it's great. I'm excited to read uh, this book by Matthew Walker. Uh, thank you again, Mick, Thanks for coming lot, on. Mick. Love to have you on anytime in the future. You guys have some developments, any new news. Wow, I learned a lot during that segment. I learned that you read. I didn't know that. And um, I, I also I had a great idea while I was napping once. Really? Yeah. I woke up and I just decided to just like eat eat this french fry. Oh, my God. That's my french fry. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, it's fr it a, fried in peanut oil, by the way. That was a great idea. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. I like, Spencer, I like reading nonfiction books I, I actually that's one of my goals for 22 and i want to read some more novels because I, I i stopped reading novels like 10 years ago okay so let's do a segment because i have i have books i have nonfiction books that i'm that i'm reading right now yeah yeah so what i'm saying is i want to get venture into yeah okay out of nonfiction. okay oh out of nonfiction. Oh. because I, I all i read is nonfiction. oh I, I only read nonfiction. uh let's bring on our next guest who would probably rather we listen to nonfiction rather than read it. Whoa, what that segue. a segue. Uh, you may have heard of the company Soundtrack Your Brand. If it sounds vaguely familiar, you may have uh, known their previous name, Spotify for Business. Uh, our next guest uh, is a, um, a leader in the audio industry, uh, Ola Saras. He's the, uh, he's the CEO of Soundtrack Your Brand. And uh, Maybe pursuing an IPO, and, and he has, well, not maybe, actually, and definitely. Uh, we'll talk about that, and he has some thoughts on the whole Spotify thing going on right now. So let's bring on Ola Saras, the CEO of Soundtrack Your Brand. How are we doing today, sir? I'm good, Spencer. Aaron, how are you guys? We're good. Wait, can you pull that can back up real quick? We have our uh, some some sponsor obligations. <laughs> oh, that's not a Coke. Oh, that is a Coca-Cola. Coke. Perfect. Perfect. All right, we're good now. It's a Swedish, it's a Swedish Coca-Cola. It's here. Believe it's it or Swedish Coca-Cola better than U.S. Coca-Cola. You know, people say it's like so Mexican much better. Coffee, so. so much better than your Big Mac over here. It's it's incredible. Really? Wow. Wow. I'm learning so many things oh, today. Oh my god, we got to go to mm -hmm. Sweden. Apparently so. There's I a book about it. About the Big Macs in Sweden. Yeah, and the Coca-Cola as well. Is it fiction? You guys are talking right. about books, called? right? <laughs> I'll yeah, send you called? a book for the book club. <laughs> what's it called? <laughs> You'll see when I send it. All right, perfect. All right, all right fair enough, fair enough. Okay, um, first, uh, uh, I, I, let's talk about Soundtrack Your Brand because I, I read, I think, was it yesterday? I, I don't remember anymore. I'm pretty sure it was yesterday. You, you guys are, no, it was two days ago. Uh, you all are pursuing an IPO, correct? Yes, we are. In all the right, future, in the U.S. In the U.S., Woo! which we like to see. We're coming over. The Swedes are coming over again. Awesome, awesome. So tell us, for people that don't know what 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 uh, Spotify for uh, for business or now Soundtrack Your Brand does, what do you do? Well, what do we do? I, I usually explain it to my eighty five year old mother by telling me we're digitizing background music, basically. But the more pretentious response and more market driven response is, 
we are kind of the Spotify solution, but for the B2B market. So mm. Spotify has obviously evolved from being a music platform for consumers, right, into right. being an audio media company for consumers. Right. Um, so they're in your headphones the whole time. But when you also walk into a coffee shop, into an airport or a restaurant, there is music and audio playing in the background, right? That's referred to as background music. And we're bringing streaming into that market. Your track record in this in this industry is is pretty unparalleled. You were one of the founders of Beats, weren't you? Yes, back in yeah, the days. Yeah, back back in the days. So you've been in this game for a minute. Um, I, I I would love to get your your thoughts on just excuse me, just how it's changed in the last decade. Well, I think the the recent obviously news on what's going on with Spotify is is yeah. is obviously a good example of what's going on because the music streaming market as it all started up it started up with, you know, somebody understanding that the music market would, was digitizing not only in terms of distribution but in production, distribution and consumption and when we were working on this, this is actually my fourth music startup. So I've, I've been around, I've been, I've been somewhat successful and I've crashed a couple of times as well. But it's basically the same thing that was going on the first 10 years that was solving for digital distribution, providing all the music in the world anywhere, anytime at the fingertips of the consumer, right? So, so that was kind of the first stage of it. Then Spotify being a very smart company and an industry leader, we're laser focused on kind of just nailing the use case music for right. consumer. And they spent uh, the first almost 15 years doing that. And, and then they always had the plan, the bigger plan of progressing towards the broader definition audio, uh, which we now can, you know, as a tangible example, podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Or different types of experiences that go into your ears. And so that's what's happening in the audio industry and, and you know um, your us friends at andreessen horowitz uh, obviously talk a lot about audio and, and kind of what's happening and the interesting thing about that we consume audio so differently than we consume other media we have these Air airpods in our ears the whole time basically mm -hmm. um yeah. so i usually talk about ear space um previously we spoke about uh, eyeballs right in in the media industry now now they talk about ear space. How much ear space can you take? So that's what's going on with, with Spotify right now. And that kind of explains the progression of music streaming into audio media. And it's a huge, huge thing that's going on. It's, it's not just, you know, Neil Young pulling his content. It's yeah. actually Spotify expanding their offering, moving towards a billion consumers and moving towards a huge asset in terms of consumer ear space. I would love your take on the Spotify Joe Rogan thing. I think the we a lot of people are are curious as to what the implications are when you when you you know you bring someone like like that you know into your ecosystem and you create this walled garden where they're only going to be on your platform and that's of course by design that drives subscribers and all that. But then uh, the implications of that, the implications of exclusivity agreements and everything. So like I'm just curious what your take is and what are the implications of the of the Joe Rogan Neil Young Spotify thing. I honestly don't really see any huge implications. I mean, okay. um, so I think um, 
everyone sit cool. I mean, Spotify is moving from being a music platform to becoming a audio media company. And Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, all of those media companies have gone through similar type of challenges, right? There's content being distributed and there's, you know, consumer generated content or there's podcasts and stuff. And of course, there's going to be people that have different opinions and different angles when you're a media kind of distribution platform. So um, I think there's just a general approach that I think Spotify has done really well. It's just follow the legal frameworks of the markets that, that you're on. Uh, follow the policies that you've created in order to kind of uphold your brand. But by default, you'll have people with different opinions and you'll have people pulling content and putting content back. It's always been the case. So um, if Neil Young is pulling his content, I mean, I love Neil Young. He's, he's one of the world's best artists, but, and it's too bad because I use Spotify as a consumer, but, but uh, I, don't think it's going to have any effect on Spotify's yeah, Jared, performance. Jared Shapiro brings up a, a good point in the chat that if, if other artists were to follow Neil Young's lead uh, and it created that, then that then maybe that would lead to implications. But the way it stands now, I agree that there's not really big implications, uh, you know, from that ordeal. And, and really, Spotify honestly is in a position where they don't even have to look like the bat. You know, it's like, hey, we're just not going to censor, you know, certain thoughts opinions that are out there they're not saying we necessarily agree with joe rogan on everything we just aren't going to be the ones to step in and censor that so i think that's a a very strong and reasonable business decision um but moving forward i mean have you guys seen our podcasts like moving forward it seems like there's so much interest in podcasts we've seen spotify drop huge uh sums of money to get joe rogan to get caller daddy from from uh barstool is that going to continue moving forward? Is that trend of content distributors spending that much money on podcasts going to continue, do you think? Yeah, I think so. Because once again, back to audio and, and what people talk about, like um, mega audio platforms, right? So I'm obviously trying to build the B2B mega audio platform, reaching everyone out in the physical world. Uh, and Daniel's building the mega audio platform for consumers. Uh, and in the, and, and then there's a natural progression in that. That's like you need to create interesting content the whole time. You need to initially when I was at Beats, uh, Jimmy and Dre gave me the brief of let's create the New York Times for music. What they meant was let's let's create a really good editorial product. And what that's what that means is obviously packaging music and compilations or playlists, call it what you like and, you know, serving that up. So that's one way of, of creating content right as a music distributor and taking a stand but that's that's pretty far from ever becoming controversial right maybe you'll do kind of the obama winning the the election playlist or something but no one's really gonna but but once you took the step from just packaging music into actually you know media content in terms of podcasts it becomes a bit more personal and the production context becomes a bit more intense and, and then when you start investing as well in, in content production, which they have, and all other media platforms as well, then you're really taking a, you know, a proactive role in what's going out there. But still, that's what media companies do. They'll do, they'll yeah. do a podcast with Michelle Obama. They'll, you know, they'll sponsor Joe Rogan. So, so this is what media companies have been doing forever. The, the, the thing is that Spotify is growing up to become a global media company and they 
this is this is what happens when you're a media company. It's nothing yeah. new. Uh, Olasars is the CEO of Soundtrack, your brand, uh, formerly known as Spotify for Business, is pursuing an IPO here in the U.S. Uh, Ola, thank you so much for coming on the show today, and we look forward to receiving that book in the mail. I'll send you the book about Swedish Coca-Cola and Big Macs, coming soon. Yes! And then we'll read it and do our own uh, boots on the ground reporting and come investigate. <laughs> All right, have a good rest of your night, man. Great, thank you. Enjoy your Friday. It's pitch All dark right. here. I'm ready to close for the day and maybe go grab a beer. So yeah, right. have a great weekend. Or, or maybe a Coke and a Big Mac. Well, how how did the Swedes end up taking over the music industry? Daniel Ek, Ola Sars. I mean, the Swedes just took everything over. Um, they just took over the music business. I don't know. That's okay. I think they have, I think they have a strong education system over there. Uh, that's our weak point. Yeah. <laughs> That's the we, have all the, we have all the money in the world, but we don't want to put it in the social nah, programs that would help. No, no, we're not about that education. All right, let's uh, let's pivot from one startup uh, founder, a serial startup entrepreneur, to another. Uh, if you're watching our show yesterday, we uh, had a company on uh, from a series that we've been uh, profiling on the show. The series is called Going Public. Um, it is a series that is uh, following uh, a group of companies uh, and their respective entrepreneurs and their founders as they pursue uh, a, a, a fundraise, as they go out and raise money through a reggae offering. So uh, I want to bring on uh, our guest here uh, who is from another one of these companies today. We're going to be talking to, oh, man, my computer just froze on me. Terry, Terry Kim. Thank you. Terry Kim, the founder and CEO of NGT Academy. Um, and so we're going to talk about what is behind their business, what is he doing, what's the mission, what's the North Star, and like, what is it like to be followed around on camera in a reality show while you're trying to raise money and pitch investors? Spencer, what's your North Star? Gets eight hours of sleep a night. Oh, good I, luck. I, I don't know. I don't think that ever, has that happened yet this uh, year. No, I'm giving Terry Kim the special intro round two. Terry Kim, NGT Academy. Welcome to the uh, Benzinger Live. How are we doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How about, how about you guys? We are doing fantastic. So NGT Academy. Uh, I'm gonna play a little bit from a snippet from this week's show which i would encourage everyone to check out uh what do you do so ngt academy is a uh, next generation cyber training uh, school essentially and we take people from all types of backgrounds even if you have zero experience and in four months turn them into uh, cyber warriors uh, for the cyber workforce this is great. We were just talking about how education is a major weak point in the United States. Awesome. Mm. What, 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 what prompted this? I'm always interested in founders. What, why, what happened in your life, in your career, in your personal life that made you say, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, me and Jacob, we've been um, co-founders in multiple ventures together for about a decade now. And when our last uh, tech startup failed, um, in 2013 and we wanted to take another jab at uh you know the tech startup space was how could we take some of our most valuable skill sets and go into an area where we have deep domain expertise and it happens that me and my co-founder both train thousands of uh engineers for the u.s air force and when we got out we we got amazing jobs you know working in the civilian sector um and 
working at companies like Cisco Systems, Arista Networks, and some of these companies. And what we found is there's just a huge skills gap and a, a lot of uh, myth around how do you break into a technical career field? Well, um, you know, when it comes to becoming a doctor or a lawyer, sure, you have to go to college, right? But we knew that there was a better way to train and to get into the IT workforce without, you know, large amounts of student loan debt. Um, as you guys probably know, that's a huge crisis, right? Um, and um, we knew that we could train students in a matter of months versus four years of college with, you know, massive amount of student loan. We knew there was a better way and we've done it in the military. And we also worked in the civilian sector and knew how uh, and what employers truly needed in terms of uh, next generation IT talent. So the onus is on you to recruit Tell us, like, walk us to the business. You re you recruit instructors. Obviously, you have to recruit students, but you have to recruit the the teachers too. Yeah, we're so we're both trainers. Uh, Jacob is my chief academic officer, and we have real world engineers slash uh, that become trainers or um, have trained uh, previously as as instructors or trainers. And we run online cohorts, and now we have our campus here in downtown Phoenix. We're super excited about launching in the fall uh, version three of our program. And essentially, we are um, immersive training. So it, it, it's all about hands-on training um, versus books and concepts and theories. It's about uh, can you perform on the, on the job on day one? So 80% of our training is immersive, hands-on real world skills based. Can, can you give us some numbers here as far as the size of your customer base or your student base, I should say? Yes. So we have uh, a little over a thousand active students going through our programs across two tracks. So we have a full stack of network engineering track. Um, and then we also have a cybersecurity specialist track. Um, and then we're about to launch this um, third track uh, called systems engineering or sales engineering um, that we're super excited about launching next quarter. Uh, and yeah, those are our three current offerings. And then we're also about to launch next quarter a zero to IT security hero program, which is going to be a free 100-day challenge to allow students that want to break into cybersecurity uh, to be able to get up to two IT certifications uh, through this 100-day challenge. So I take the course first off. I, I, how much is 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 the uh, the the course? So our 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 business model is very unique that we offer several financing options. If if the student wants to go into our immersive programs, um, they they run for about four months uh, full time, about six months part time, and it will run twelve thousand five hundred dollars uh, if you pay the tuition up front. And then we also have what we call the income sharing agreement model, which makes our business unique, where we can take anyone, zero tuition up front. Um, they have to go through an admission process. And if they make it through that, and we believe they're a good mutual fit for the program, we'll, we'll train them for free for uh, four months and then take 10% of their income for up to four years. And that's through our ISA. What, what percentage, uh, like, what's the breakdown there? Because the ISA model is an interesting one. It, it's it's catching on slowly, but it is catching on. Uh, well, there are some 
several u universities in the U.S. that that offer ISAs. So, like, what is the breakdown of the ISAs versus the normal tuition? Um, so, I would say majority, um, north of ninety-five percent of our students take the ISA. That's the model that Ooh. we adopted about two years ago when we decided to go down this path. Is how do we remove the friction um, of taking all the talent pool, you know, that has the potential to succeed in this uh, career field um, and give them an opportunity in equal playing field without worrying about how do I come up with the tuition? How do I come up with a loan um, if you're not financially eligible, things like that. And so it really aligns with our mission is is how, how can we accelerate and, and equal the, the playing fields when it comes right. to access to education? Uh, and then I asked, um, I've, I've asked this of, uh, of our last guest. I'm going to ask every guest that we have on from the Going Public series is, you know, you're raising money on a reality show. So what's that like? <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's been a journey. It's been um, um, about nine months, you know, we've been uh, shooting the series, um, you know, docu-series style, so to speak, right? Following the journey, uh, sharing our story, sharing our mission. And it's been, a, it's been a phenomenal experience for us. We really wanted to leverage a show like this to open up uh, access for uh, opportunities for retail investors to uh, come into a round like ours, where traditionally we would have stayed the Silicon Valley route, raising a yeah. Series B. You know, we raised... Uh, a 15 million series a round uh two and a half years ago and um when we you know looked at raising a series b and todd and darren from the show approached us uh we thought it was re a really cool concept right and we knew crowdfunding was starting to take off and, and go mainstream and when we found one of our alumni founders was telling us like you know when they got exposure on TV, like Shark Tank, for example, uh, their revenue just blew up and their customer base blew up. And we think there's this power around um, just being on the show like this can create massive exposure and um, get more people to understand what our school can offer as a true alternative to college. And, 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 and that's another reason why we decided to do the show. You mentioned that you're, you know, a serial entrepreneur and, and, and your last venture failed. I would just love if you could just drop us a pearl of wisdom about going, like, about failing, right? Yeah. Um, I, there's this quote, you know, that goes like, fail fast, succeed faster, right? And, right. and so every entrepreneur is cut differently about how they want to, you know, tackle a certain sector, go to market, uh, maybe bootstrap. Uh, that's what we did essentially for about a year with the last startup um, from 2013, uh, building a cloud project management app in the cloud for IT teams. And uh, we had a great product, great version one, but a lot of lessons there um, that made us successful to be able to build this company up. So like every endeavor, every startup, yeah, I think the advice is that if you want to get into the startup game, you 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 should try to fail fast as possible um, and and go all in. And with that startup, we like burned the boats. We went all in. We put it even, you know, some of our, our 401k savings into that business, bootstrapping it. Yeah. And then raise a little bit of angel money 
But um, yeah, learned a lot um, through that experience to go at it again. So what is the plan going forward now in terms of in-person versus online education? Yeah, that's so what's your question again on that? As far as like, is, is, is it going to be like, you know, education, I, I think is probably never going back to the way nothing's going back to the way things were. Right. So you, yep. a, a huge investment in the last two years in, in online education and making sure that that's a viable option for people. What, what is your plan for that in terms of the, the in-person model, the hybrid model, or just the online model? Yeah, great question. We've, we've been doing online for about four or five years now, okay. and we've done multiple types of online. This is our third variation where we have a hybrid model. So if you're a part-time student, you go through 10 hours um, of self-study through our learning management platform that delivers uh, digitized course training, but also project-based training. And then you have 10 hours of live instruction. Um, and then two times that amount of time, if you're a full-time student, doing 20 hours self-paced, 20 hours live. Um, this is a model that we think can be more scalable for in-person, I think in-person doesn't ever go away, uh, especially yeah. with practical skill sets. Uh, we are uh, working on some cool, really cool AR, VR uh, tech that is going to enable us to scale, let's say, blending offline, um, you know, offline to online as much as possible. So we have this cool project called Project Phenoc, where we could have our students put on your, you know, some VR goggles and essentially teleport them into really cool immersive IT rooms, IT data centers, security operation centers, things like that. So the way we look at it is build a robust enough LMS, which we have been building for the last five years, is allow that platform to scale to millions of users consuming as much as possible the self-paced uh, content and then bring them to one of our campus locations. You know, we're, we're strat planning right now on how to build out our first three campuses. Phoenix downtown being part of it, as you saw on the kind of preview reel, we're building yeah. this campus where students can live, play, play train, and, and get well all in one building, even with student housing built in, um, restaurants, you name it, wellness. And what we plan to do is uh, imagine if you have a 16-week program you do 12 weeks online, and then once you graduate from the online school, you come to a physical campus for about four weeks to finish up your certifications, your on-site on skills qualification, and graduation. And that creates that alumni, the networking opportunities, things like that, because we think community is very important. So we, we are at a stance where we're not trying to do everything online. Now the next evolution is, you know, building these campuses to build that community, to build that right. practical skills training. And then we believe that 75% uh, of our students, when we scale to, you know, 100,000 students could go online and then the other 25% will be on, on site through kind of more compressed training. Got it. Terry Kim, founder and CEO of NGT Academy. You can learn more. Uh, the links are in the description. They're also in the chat. I would recommend everyone... Check out goingpublic.com to watch the episode featuring Terry that was out this past uh, Tuesday, right? What yep. day is today? Friday, yeah. Friday. Terry, uh, a pleasure. As uh, Thanks for coming on the show. A pleasure to talk to you, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more uh, on the show. Yeah, same here, Spencer. Great chatting. All right.
Uh, hey, whoop, sorry about that. Let's uh, let, let's bring on our, our next guest, uh, Tony. We're just ben. keeping it rolling today. Yeah, guest we're, after we're guest after guest after guest. Today. After guest. Well, we're in a fast market, AB. Well, let's give let's give let's give the crowd out there a little preview. So we got Tony Benson's from Patterns in a Flash coming up now. And then who's mm-hmm. our 130 guest? Oh, I'm very excited for our 130 guest. If y'all have ever heard of Whitney Tilson, he's a former hedge fund guy. He's a disciple of. Actually, not, I don't. I don't know if I'd call him a disciple of Buffett. He's he's, he's a longtime follower of uh, Warren Buffett. He, he's famed short seller, famously short uh, shorted lumber liquidators back in the day. Anyway, anyway, uh, Whitney's partner is joining us here. Uh, Whitney runs a firm called uh, Empire Research, and his partner Enrique uh, Abeda is going to come on today and uh, talk about. The market. He's going to give us his thoughts on this market. So that'll be at one thirties. But we got Tony Benson here right now. Uh, the charts are doing some funky things. It is a violent rally today. That's the word of the day. Violent. Can we get Tony on the show? Let's do it. Let's bring Tony Benson. Tony Benson. On the show. Hey, where'd well, he go? Where'd he, where'd he go? He's there. <laughs> I think I had an update. Tony up, Benson. Tony? Tony, Tony. Hey, what's going on, guys? How you doing? Can, can you please share your screen? And I will. I want to see your charts because they're doing some funky things. I'm not even going to ask you for a ticker. I'm just going to ask. I, I was going to say, t- you tell me, Tony, what you're watching. You Let's look at like a – I don't care. I don't even care what we look at. I just got to <laughs> get your take because, like, the, the, the market is uh, – a yo-yo i have a hot take uh relating to charts right now that I, I'd, I'd be curious what to you see tony's thoughts on so i on find the- it a lot of times harder to try to find uh you know we talk about this all the time not trying to you know catch a falling knife or try to time a bottom you know you got to wait for that uh curl back up you got to see some strength before you get in yep. but i was looking at sqqq's chart and i know it's yep. leverage so i know it's probably maybe not the best chart to look at but on like a daily on the past month, it looks a, a little toppy to me. And I think maybe that might be, maybe it's easier for me to identify a top than it is for me to identify the bottom. I don't know. Yeah, I'm going to have to look at it there. Um, <clears throat> so that's the short, obviously the short for the NASDAQ. Right. Uh, give me a daily chart. They did the split recently. So that, that chart is, uh, the other chart, it hasn't adjusted it yet. So. Oh, okay. This one has. That's why it was. That's why it's funky. It looks like a. It looks like a massive jump from six bucks to forty two, but it's not. Right. So, so it looks like back on January twenty fourth at the at the uh, beginning of this week we hit forty six twelve. We tested that level again. We tested that level again yesterday. I haven't broken through there. So anytime I see a, you know, a stock or a chart trying to get through a level but it can't, and then it's starting to come back down, to me that's like okay, shoot, that could be the that could be a top there. Yeah, typically. Um, and this was tricky. We never know, right? But um, yeah, it looks like it's peaked out. Which this is what's goofy too. The spiders and the SPX obviously has is basically building a bottom. And since this is an inverse, it's going to look exactly the opposite, right? So um, whether we're looking at the spiders or this or the SPX, it's it's all going to look very similar. So and this is you can see that the violent crazy, like Spencer was saying, the violent crazy moves that we've had the last few days. This is the same thing. So. Um, what was your what was your question again, Aaron? I mean, did you have a question? I'm trying to figure out. 
what you're if well, I, I was you. saying it might just be easier for me that like maybe it's just the way i see charts but to see that that what i saw is a top or a potential top in sqq as opposed to trying to find the bottom but yeah i mean like you said it's, it's it looks the exact same just the inverse uh, yeah but yeah your your thoughts on that i mean maybe this rally today could be another little fake out another bounce and we're and we're back down next week who knows yeah and frankly that's why i'm pretty much on the sidelines i've only got one or two little positions. I cleaned out almost everything last week as it was starting to bottom out because I actually would expect the market to bounce here. That's what I'm thinking it will do. Um, but don't know if it, it could just drop off. If we look at the spiders, I'll, I'll, kind of the same here, right? I mean, it's basically the exact opposite. But what it's going to do from here is anybody's guess. Where are we going to continue the slide or not? And if it breaks down below this 430 level, that's what I I would be bearish again if it breaks below there. I've actually taken a couple of swings on some day trades on this thing the last couple of days. When it gets down to this level, it looks like it's going to break down. So, um, but actually, it looks like this thing wants to go higher from here. So the question is, how high will it go if it does? And yeah, it's like, go ahead. No, I'm curious. I'm curious what your uh, your pri okay. So you're setting your price target at the previous support on that. Yep. Yep. Right there. Yeah, I would expect a, a, some kind of roll reversal. If it rallies back up, we get up to about 450. It's the previous support there. There's a little bit back here as well, about 453. So if it rallies back up to here, which also is about a halfway, it's about a 50% retracement, which is fairly typical, right? I don't use Fibonacci's, but if there's anybody out there that does use Fibs, then they know that the 50% mark is about it. So, so I would expect it to rally back to 450 if it does, if it continues up. All right, there you have it. Some price targets there on, on the on the spy. Uh, anything on your watch list right now? Any charts that you've been watching today or the last couple of days that you think are, are setting up for a nice trade? Yeah, I've got uh, is any of them that was here. I've got actually three different orders in right now. I mean, you can see them there on the screen. They're all contingents. Um, BlackRock. Is this, it is BlackRock. BX. Black Blackstone, Stone. excuse me. Blackstone. <laughs> got a little bit off. Blackstone. All good. <laughs> BlackRock is also publicly traded, but... Uh... Yeah. Oh man, I didn't realize Blackstone has had gone down. I mean, it was at one forty last time I was looking at it. It's all the way down to one twenty one right now. Interesting. Yeah, and I actually uh, I traded this once already, but got stopped out. Can't remember exactly where. I've modified my trading plan, but here's a re I mean, here's a reason for it. We've got a beautiful head and shoulders on this thing. The neckline's a little steeper than I like, but it, it broke it here a few weeks ago, and then rallied back up, tapped it. And I figured if it bounced, which earnings created this mounts, if it comes back up to this neckline or anywhere near it or even this low, then if it rolls over, I'm going to get bearish on it. So. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I know I, I think we've asked you this before. You said head and shoulders is one of your favorite patterns. Maybe, oh, yeah. I think that. Yeah. What's your what's your go to way to trade a head and shoulders patterns? Because I've, I've heard different things from different technical traders. I've heard. Uh, you know, people want to get in on, on it on the short side, on the right shoulder, on the on the peak of the right shoulder. Some people want to play that rip up on the on the right shoulder. You know, I, I, there's a million different ways to trade it. It all depends on uh, how you want to do it. That's the beauty of this business. There is no right or wrong answer. Um, well, I think last time we talked about that was J and J. I don't know if you remember seeing yeah. that, but because you asked um, me that same question, do you get into the right shoulder? The right shoulder is a very aggressive place to get in because it hasn't really, it's just barely forming. If you were to get in like right here, it's its just barely forming the pattern. So there's no confirmation yet. If you go, it depends on if you want to go by the book. If you want to go by the book, 
it technically has to close below the neckline before there's a confirmation of the pattern. So until it breaks the neckline and closes below it, it's not technically a head, considered a head and shoulders. It's it's just been formed. So there's a difference You'll between being formed and con confirmed. You'll love this. We have a, a Thursday, sometimes after work on Thursdays, we'll go to this little restaurant, dive bar, bring our computers, get some work done while we uh, you know, also have a couple drinks or whatever. And some kid came up to me last night. I had my computer open. I had a chart open. And he goes, hey, what chart are you looking at? And he sits down next to me and he starts talking about technical analysis. Kid was 21 years old, like barely old enough to be in the bar. And he saw a chart on my screen. It's just so funny. We live in a world now that's like someone sees someone else looking at a chart and they want to come over and talk to him about it. I don't know. Maybe it's always been like that, but it uh, seems like a lot more people are, are into trading into charts over the past couple of years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been. Um, yeah, when I started almost it's been almost 22 years ago, people thought this was voodoo. Um, yeah. In fact, Kramer, I, let, I think it was last week I was watching you guys and you were <laughs> you were talking about Kramer and and uh, it was uh, <laughs> I was laughing because you guys were talking about him and, and how he's wrong all the time. And uh, he said probably 10 or 12 years ago, somebody emailed in about charts and he was, yeah, that stuff doesn't work. And then, yeah, uh, I mean, you you hear it all the time. I mean, I think Warren Buffett said similar things before, too. And it's like, look, just because it doesn't work for you doesn't mean it doesn't work. Uh, yeah. And I like to encompass everything, right? Like, I, I, I like looking at the charts. I like trading off the charts. The way I see it is, like, for, for a lot of investing, I'll use more fundamental approach. And then for trading, you have to be using technical analysis. If you're trying to trade without knowing technical analysis, you're going to get burned, right? The only way to uh, yeah. systemically, you know, trade in the green to profit from trading is to be using these charts. So, um, yeah, it was actually funny. The kid last night, I was looking at Hood's chart. So I was like, oh, and it was last, like Hood's bounced today. But at the time, after hours, I mean, it was just going straight down. It was down like 15%. So it was just in a straight, yeah, that's what the chart looked like I was looking at last night. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at Hood. What do you see here? Kind of like kidding, because uh, there's not much to see. You know, you don't have any previous support to look out to the left. All you, you can see the trend. That's about it. Yeah. Um, but now we today we got a bounce. So, yeah, yeah, that's today's candle. So, for something like this, I mean, I would wait for it to to build a base. I mean, typically stocks don't stocks don't very often just turn on a dime and go the other direction. They usually settle in a little bit and find a base. So, I wouldn't yeah. uh, I wouldn't touch this yet. But oh no, know, we'll oh, no, 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 no. Oh, that's what I was just thinking though too. What's funny is that the whole chart thing with Kramer when he said that I laughed because in two thousand one I was I had the opportunity to go to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And there's the S&P pit. And this is back when, you know, live trading where they're screaming and yelling. The largest pit in the trading world. And the guy that we were there in with. Chicago? Touring, huh? The largest trading pit was in Chicago? The Yeah, Chicago Mercantile Exchange. The market. It was the S&P Futures is what we traded. It was the S&P Futures was, pit. I didn't know that was bigger than any of the, the floors in, in New York. Well, I don't, I don't know about size-wise. I'm talking dollar-wise. The amount of volume that the S&P Futures traded was the biggest biggest volume at that time, at least. This was back in 2001. Yeah. It's back when there was a live right trading now. floor. But yeah. the guy that was giving us the tour, he goes, yeah, it's pretty quiet. Then all of a sudden, this noise erupted from the pit. We were like 15 feet from it. That's all. And so I turn to look over, and everybody's going crazy. And I look up on the wall, and there's this huge chart. And it was just literally hitting the the, the W, the right side of a double bottom. And as the noise uh, started, it started to tick up. And I'm watching this chart tick up higher as they're, they're going crazy. And then I heard Kramer say that about charts. I'm like, what are you talking? This is the largest trading pit in the world. And they're all watching this massive chart up on the wall. <laughs> I just laughed. So that's awesome. It was pretty cool. It was an experience that, that I mean, it was 20 years ago. And I still, I remember it like it was yesterday. So it kind of actually gives me the chills. It's weird to think back that to be able to experience something like that right there in the, in the heat of the action and watch it happening live and seeing them trading the chart 
right there. So, yeah, and there's this theory thrown out there that's kind of related to that that people talk about sometimes. It's like that TA in itself is like a self fulfilling prophecy because so many people follow it that then when you get that double bottom, people see that and then they start buying and then that's causing the to come up like along with the chart. So it's it's an interesting theory. You know, that's all it is is a theory. But um, yeah, I mean, look, bottom line is if you're if you're out there trading, investing, not incorporating technical analysis at all, you need to, you need to look into it. You need to find what works for you. Some people have a simpler approach. Some people have, you know, 10 different indicators on, you know, we'll have different moving averages, Fibonacci's, all that. I tend to, I tend to stick to like simpler is better. Um, and just have a few different, you know, tools and things that I'm looking at. And I find that also more repeatable. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, these markets, at least for trading have just, have been, great the past couple of weeks all the volatility right yeah well great and tricky i mean it's uh if you're in on the right side when it moves big then that's always good but when it's been bouncing around like it has the last couple of days it makes it a little more challenging so um but yeah the volatility typically is good for short-term trading so yeah no i mean that's what well it was weird because uh december is typically one of the least volatile months but then last december uh, last month was actually more volatile than usual. And then, of course, this this January, this month has been super volatile. Uh, but we are missing some of that volatility from like, I don't know, August to November. You know, it seemed like uh, th- there was there wasn't as much volatility for, for a while. So it's good to get some of that back. Yeah. Yeah. And on that note, I, you said something about people using 10 indicators. And this is one thing that I remember years ago reading Bollinger's book and he talked about multicollinearity. And it hit me because I, I used to use like 15 different indicators. And in reality, there's only five or six different types of indicators. So if you're using more than five or six, you've got a lot of duplication. And it's a, it's a pit that I fell into and a lot of people fall into is it, you can have 10 indicators, but five of them might be momentum indicators. So if they're all momentum indicators, they're all going to be saying the same thing because that's what they're designed to do. So just a, just a word of caution to those that are out there that, you know, maybe don't have, you know, know as much about technical analysis. But that's one thing. Make sure you're not using, you shouldn't be using more than five or six indicators. Right. All right, well, so, Tony, I'll let you pull up uh, again any any stocks on your watch list, any charts you're watching. Uh, if anyone's got any tickers in the chat they want us to check out, yeah, we, we may have it. a couple minutes. But Tony, we we are. I know we kind of got you on later than we usually do, so we 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 only yeah. got a couple minutes left. No big deal. Yeah, BX was one I'm looking at. I've got a contingent order actually. If this if it breaks down below 121, I'm gonna <laughs> I've got just a couple of puts going to pick up on that. Nothing nothing huge. I'm not doing what, anything. What cra- stri- what's strike price on the puts? Uh, let me see. I can't remember what I have out there. Even I are you looking at monthlies? Uh, monthlies next uh, in February, <coughs> or, or what's the expiration? No, this is one I'm looking at longer term. Uh, I got the okay. '90s all the way out in June for the '90s because that's my target. Oof. So yeah, you're really I, bearish. You're really bearish, Blackstone. Well, the pattern's but, there, so um, if what, you duplicate what, this, Blackstone. Blackstone's more of a PE play. Yeah, Blackstone's private equity. Private equity. Yeah. So I just worry that like if the if the economy and the markets are strong, no, private equity private equity is a beast. Like there the, the, that asset. I, I'm, our next guest may have thoughts on this, but our, as an asset class, it's just a Blackstone's a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, I keep it simple, and there's the pattern. <laughs> the expected move is there. I think it'll take a while to get there. That's why I went up to June. But I'm just I've got an order at one twenty seventy five sitting out there. And then if it if it does drop off, so in other words, if it rolls off today, then I'll get bearish. If it continues to fall, I'll add to it at one sixteen. I just got a little tiny one here, but I'll add to it here. So, okay. What about on the long side? Anything you like on the long side? 
Uh, yeah, DWAC. Well, Newmont, both do, the two in the middle there, <laughs> Newmont and DWAC, which is good old. Oh Trump's. wait, you weren't joking. <laughs> I What's thought that? you were joking. You were EWAC. No, Tony doesn't care what the company does. It's got a chart. He can trade it. Yeah, give me a ticker. I don't know. I mean, VX, I, I don't think anyone knows what that company does. Tony's DWAC? not alone in that regard. Yeah, because they don't do they anything. Got, they don't. They don't have a company yet. Oh, they do. They got. Um, well, that's what. Where to go? Let me get up on here. I know we only got a Spencer minute. Spencer and I have a bet. There, I I said that the the launch date for True Social by February twenty or February twenty first. 2022 is not gonna happen. wait on the day that they announced it i i down i like i got the, i went on the thing and i got the app but there's no app so am i gonna get the app on my phone <clears> one day on the that... 21st that's the launch date but i'm saying that's not gonna happen oh that's like an elon musk date right. well this i'm sure you guys saw the news but the, the, this pop was created by rogan getting on it oh i didn't i, I did not know that yeah this <laughs> right, this little good. that's a good that's a good catalyst oh man but now you're getting yeah, the fundamentals in, Tony. like like the next day a million people a million signed up a million people yeah. signed up for it after rogan got on so yeah. oh, that? Man. i was kidding around i said now you're getting into fundamentals but um <laughs> true which i'm not trading based on that i'm trading based on the pattern it's it's broken out of that high and now it's back to here so if it continues higher yeah i've got an order sitting out there if it if it gets here above 68 it's going to trigger me so all right, well, there you have it. Uh, Tony Benson, patterns in a flash. He likes DWAC on the long side and uh, Blackstone BX on the short side. Uh, yeah, I mean, if these markets stay this volatile, Tony, we'll have to get, we're going to have to get you on. You're coming back on next Friday, correct? Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, let's look at the you calendar. Guys right. You send me a message, let me know, and yeah, I'll right. I, I, I usually just text Tony at the last possible second and okay. say, hey, Tony, we need you. And then Tony! You and then, That's fine. I'm usually right. here. It's not very often I'm out, so. Beautiful. <laughs> All right, Tony. Well, have a great weekend. Always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Jim. See you. All right. Uh, I'm very excited for our next guest. He does not join us every week like Tony, but uh, I mentioned he's a partner of Whitney Tilson, Empire Financial Research, and Enrique Beta. Um, good follow, not good. Great follow on Twitter. If you're not following Enrique, I highly recommend it. He's he he both tweets and he retweets good good shit and that's the cool thing right it's like he shares the love he's not just endlessly self-promoting his own stuff no he retweets good shit he says good shit but he also retweets good shit let's bring on enrique right now enrique beta welcome <clears throat> to benzinga live how are you guys can you hear me okay i hear you and perfectly. i see you perfectly perfect um, can we, can enrique... we talk DWAC? can we talk DWAC? i want to go right oh, there <laughs> yeah go go lay it on me so, so the only thing I was gonna say, I, I like I like Tony's style. I, I agree a lot with technical analysis. That's a whole other conversation for another time. Yeah. Um, but I've done a lot of M and A in my career, and uh -huh. I've done I've made some huge huge returns with doing very unusual M and A situations. And I have to say that I believe the DWAC deal ultimately goes through. But I think that DWAC way out of the money put options here are literally one of the best risk rewards I've seen in the last five years. Really? And, and because in the last the five years, you said? Yeah, maybe ten. Like I mean, it's just it's it's crazy because. But you know, here's really, the thing: uh, if the if the DWAC deal gets shot down by any combination of legal, regulator, regulator, political, etc., and there is a little smoke there because there, it looks like there were real converse. I don't know how much you guys know about SPACs. But if you have a SPAC sponsor having any material conversations prior to the IPO or during certain periods, you could muddy the waters. Now, the vast majority of the time, I think the regulators would let that go. But given the political nature of this, but I'm going to tell you this, if the DWAC deal falls through, this is a $9.85 stock in mm -hmm. a day. 
in a mm -hmm. day. So I don't even think you have to be that right. So I can't, it's hard for me to pull up on my options monitor here where like the 15 puts are trading or something like that. But I think that there's an, yeah, there's, yeah pull, pull it up for me. Um, Cause I'm doing this on my laptop and I'm on my Bloomberg screens are here and I can't. We're also on our laptops here. So we, 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 we are limited, but yeah. Uh, we're also going to be looking at the Robinhood option chain. So yeah. I hope that doesn't bother you. Yeah. I mean, uh, so we want to look at like far, what do you think? January? No, 2020? no I think, I, I think you could go, I think you could even go out like four well, months, launch, six months. So the launch date is supposed to be February 21st. So we could go like February 25th if we think that it. it yeah, but it that's not the call. What's, that's yeah, not long well, term. Okay, but that's also uh, not when the deal closes. September, okay. July, July yeah, six months. Go away. July. Go July. July. Like, uh, puts. Right. We want to look at crazy shit. Go like. They don't even have. They don't even have below thirty dollar puts. So where is the thirty? You know, thirty's at eight thirteen right now. I mean, you know, so that's a little on the expensive side. I don't know if I go on to Bloomberg. Uh, I would lose my screen if I if I did it. Um, but I, I look, I think it's an interesting risk reward because here's the other thing too. And this is with that amount of time, you don't even have to be right to be right. Right. If the sec comes out and says, Hey, we're going to take a look at this. This stock could get cut in half the next day. So the funny thing is I don't disagree with Tony about the chart and it's a very strong setup, especially in the context of this tape, but this one is unique that you have a very large asymmetrical event that seems quite logical that if it happens, like I said, if, if the deal gets shot down, the stock trades below 10 the next I, day. I'm just curious, if you go out further, are there lower strikes? That's I, a good question. Yeah. So, so Enrique, I, I got it. So my thoughts on this is uh, still 30. Let's go December. Uh, yeah. Okay, Let here we go. December, I... we could get... Oh. oh, wait, these $10 puts are only 95 cents. I like well, that. See, that's my point. That's the kind of thing you want to buy. Right, because right. it's a bug. I like, I like that. I like that a lot. And, I think you just talked me into way, that. But if this, if this, if this works, like if I, if it happens, let's say there's, a, but whatever, there's a twenty percent chance it happens, a fifty percent chance. Yeah, those are going to be worth. Where's the, where's the stock right now? Um, sixty. It's at sixty-seven sixty. Yeah. So, like, you know, so the only challenge you're going to have is the stock probably trades to nine eighty-five. So, because of because of the 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 SPAC portion of it. So, because you still have the money in trust. So you actually want to look at like the 20s. So where are the 20s trading? Um, let's check. $6. 20s are at 683. Okay. So you would make $4 on those, you know? Yeah. You're going to want to look through it. Like in, in the 30s were at $8, you said? Yeah, yeah. But those were uh, sooner. Those were, so the $30 December expirations are around uh, $12. $12. The, okay. Okay. So the market's actually, I, I, I got to be honest with you before, because I just had this in my head. I haven't been playing with it before I looked at this. The market is actually trading these pretty rationally, right? Okay. Because if, if the deal, if the deal doesn't go through, the stock goes to 10 on the thirties, you make $20, you pay $12 right now. So you're basically paying $12 for an $8, uh, you know, for an $8 gain. Right. If you think of it almost like sports betting. But again, the thing, the thing that I like about it is, I don't think so. So look, I'll give you three scenarios. Okay, number one, the deal goes through. Actually, four scenarios. Number one, the deal goes through, and uh, the stock goes higher. You lose all your money. Number two, the deal goes through, but let's say the market grinds lower, and this thing goes post meme, like we've seen happen to GME, we've seen happen to AMC, mm -hmm. etc. The stock mm -hmm. goes lower. Do you make money or not? Well, you're really far out of the money, but you probably get a nice shot. Number three you get a, a, some sort of commentary about it, 
the thing spikes and you probably could have these things trading at 20 or 25 in the next three months, even without the deal not going through. Number four, the deal doesn't go through. The thing trades to 10. You make the 20 bucks. So, you know, look, I think it's I think it's a nice risk reward. My takeaway here is uh, clearly Enrique is not the first person to think of this idea. Well, no, so, no, no, so no, I'm glad true. I'm it's glad a, I'm glad they're, you they're brought up it lo- fairly logically. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up AMC and GameStop because that was my thought was this is what, what I saw or what we saw a lot where these people bought these way out of the money puts on GameStop when GameStop was at $300, say $100 puts, and the stock would be moving down, but their contracts were also moving down because the volatility, because the stock just started going down every day, there wasn't really right. a lot of volatility. The the contracts became worthless, even though the stock was moving in the right direction. The, I would worry about one, something. The one difference here, the one difference I would say is that we're, t- we're, we're actually playing for a different type of event. Right. You're talking there about a one a, day. There was no there was no there was no kill shot event for GME and AMC. There was nothing that was ever going to happen. And I, I mean, fuck, man, they could have said accounting fraud and like it probably wouldn't have shaken the stock. This has a kill shot event. <laughs> That's true. This has a kill shot event. The SEC comes in and says, lucky coffee and it's still yeah, no, no, exactly. Like, so I, I think but these are these are pretty interesting. So that's the one thing where I disagree with Tony. Uh, this is where fundamental, I always com- use a combination of macro, fundamental, and technical analysis, because here he's absolutely right about the technical uh, portion of it. But because of that one fundamental thing, you could be looking at, like, in no scenario on his chart would he be saying, I'm looking at a potential 85% loss in a day. Like, that doesn't, that, that, that's not in the chart. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. Is, it's actually showing up in the options yeah. pretty well. But this is where a little bit of fundamental, you know, makes a little bit This is like sense. special situations 101 right here, I feel yep. like. Exactly. Uh, yeah, th- yeah, this is awesome stuff. Anyway, uh, Enrique, uh, Abeda, Enrique, uh, give us a quick rundown of like you, just your your background here. Yep. So, um, to, grew up in Phoenix, uh, poor Mexican Jew, didn't like being poor, got into Wharton uh, undergrad, and then uh, started my career as a TMT banker, technology media telecom banker, Lehman Brothers in the early 90s, trying to do internet deals before they could get done. But very early on, uh, 96, I left to the buy side. And for the next 20 years, I ran hedge funds. So I founded two funds, uh, one called Stadia, one called 360 Global, uh, where I was managing partner of those funds, raised $2.5 billion from investors, was a partner in two other funds where we raised another $3 billion. So 20 plus years trading the markets, uh, long short with both technical and quant overlays. Five years ago, I stepped out to start an e-commerce company that actually operates in music and tattooing, uh, which is doing very well. But then nice. Whitney approached me, uh, who was an old friend, uh, you know, three or four years ago. I never got sick of the markets. I always enjoyed it. Whitney approached me with the uh, with the opportunity with Empire, and I just love the idea. Um, it's a lot more interesting to me to be helping individual investors than it is uh, CalPERS and New York Common Fund, uh, although there's something to be said for that, too. And uh, so, yeah, like I like the media. My, I'll, I'll leave this one last thing. My music and tattoo e-commerce company, we own Inked Magazine. We own five music things. We have 60 million on social. So I, I have a huge footprint on social in those businesses. So I'm very accustomed to digital media, social. I mean, TikTok, Discord, you name it, we've got it. And then the yeah. last piece, I have a, we have another business called Hard Money, uh, which is a satire brand uh, that uh, also operates um, on Twitter and uh, and uh, Instagram, uh, where we do kind of funny wow. stuff with some advice. So, yeah. Wow. I got to say, Sp- Spencer and I are both members of the tribe. I don't know if I've ever met a, a Mexican Jew, so. No, they are out there. No, wait, there's, no. There's Javier, dude. Uh, Javier's Jewish? He's uh, also not Mexican. He's Argentine. The managing editor of Benzinga yeah. Cannabis. He's not Mexican, though. All right, you're right. There's I'm plenty sorry. of them. There's plenty of them. So. <laughs> Shit. All right. Sorry about that. All right. Anyway, 
yeah, wait. So, so tell us more. What what are the actual social accounts called? Hard money. You mentioned it's hard well, so money. So my, one. you know, obviously Enrique Abeda on Twitter, uh, hard money mag on uh, Twitter and uh, on Instagram. Uh, obviously Empire Financial, and then you know there's all the music and tattooing stuff, Inked Mag, Revolver Mag, things like that. Uh, but all the all the Wall Street stuff, mostly my Twitter account, Hard Money Mag. And to a, to a certain extent, Empire Financial. Uh, well, I don't know if you heard before you came on, Spencer was speaking highly of, of your personal Twitter account. So I'm going to go ahead and give that a follow from mine. So looking for forward sure to the content that. there. Um, so any, because we were talking about DWAC before you came on, you wanted to give your thoughts on that. But were, were there any, you know, equities, anything you were looking at, uh, yeah. you know, that you were planning on talking about before we kind of derailed you with DWAC? I want your thoughts on this market, Enrique. We were so bearish this morning. I'm not Yeah, l- look, I mean, I, here's the thing. This has happened a lot before. It's a healthy correction after a period where we haven't had any corrections for a good long time. So in 2016, we came out of the gates. The NASDAQ was down 15% in a straight fucking line. At the Mm -hmm. end of 2018, the NASDAQ, and this is both the S&P, the NASDAQ, and, and the Russell, got crushed at the end of the year. You know, there's weird things that happen with the calendar, both at the beginning and at the end of the beginning of the year. Remember that the majority of active managers are compensated on a calendar basis. That means at the end of the year, they're actually prone to freaking out because they don't want to give up their gains and their paycheck. At the beginning of the year, they also can freak out because they don't want to get caught in a hole and have to be fighting the whole whole way out. So, you know, look, volatility had been going to to these these super low levels that it's been doing for the last 10 years. It had been it had been grinding lower and lower and lower and lower all throughout 2021. And now what you do, it's like a rubber band, right? The, the, the volatility thing was like kind of like this. And now it's snapped. And you have so much bullishness, still all this retail, et cetera. But, you know, you have to ask yourself this one question. Do you think we're going into a recession in the next two to four quarters? Okay. Especially the next two quarters. If you do not think that, you want to be a buyer of the market here. But I'm going to blow your mind. Even if you do think that, you still probably want to buy the market here. Because (laughs) if you look at what happened in March of 2000, in March of 2000, when the market was coming right off the highs, actually valuations were more inflated than they were here, you still went back all the way to the highs. So for a trade, I think the well, market eventually, no, yeah, no, 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 in, in three months, in three months, go pull up the chart. You right. went right up back right. to the no, highs. No, no, no. I, I, okay, uh, yeah, I got you. So, so, yeah, so I was you, there, man. Like, yeah, all, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I got you. If you bought the S and P five hundred right before the crash, you were in the green within six months from the crash, which is just incredible to think about. Which one in March of two thousand? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know about so that. if you would have bought. If you would have bought in February, held through everything, you were in the green. Wait, wait, you said 2020, right? I'm speaking, yeah, February yeah, 2020. Sorry, you start with 2020. Oh, um, I was sorry. I was sorry. Yeah. No, it, it's it's yeah. funny that you mentioned. It's funny. It's funny that you mentioned like the January 2016 thing specifically because that was at that point I had been following the markets for less than a year. At that point, that was my first um, experience of just a broad market. Uh, correction right and there yeah. I, I remember like I, I i kept looking and asking it was like why 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 and everyone's like oh sentiment january effect sentiment and i was like what that makes so no here's, sense here's the thing the vast majority <laughs> my, my very unorthodox views about the markets okay yeah. i mean i'll share the easiest pieces of this First off, stocks are pieces of paper. I actually think stocks are NFTs. Like when I buy 100 shares of stocks Amazon. Stocks was the first NFT. Yeah. No, no, hold on. Seriously, when I buy 100 shares of yeah. Amazon, I'm literally buying a digital code kept on some electronic exchange that in yep. theory gives me the right to the cash flows of this entity. Amazon's never yep. paid a dividend. They never bought back stock, et cetera. It, it, mm. so, so they're incredibly prone, unlike bonds or options, they're incredibly prone to sentiment. 
And mm -hmm. while in the long term they're correlated, you can influence that with dividends and buybacks. The reality is they can go up 30% for no reason and down 30% for no reason. You have no way to arbitrage it. So yeah. most of the time, I look at markets as potential. We had done nothing but go higher for a year with volatility going lower and lower. And it's a, I, I use this uh, analogy of a crowded raft. Imagine you have a raft going down a river, okay? And But one side of the raft is sunny. So more and more people go to that sunny side of the raft. Then if the sure. raft hits even a little bit of rapids, the raft goes crazy, right? Because there's too many people on one side of it. And what do they do? Well, some of them fall over, some of them go to the other side of the raft, and then the raft regains its, 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 its sort of composure. I feel that's how the markets are. So the reason we're down so much is because we were up so much in a straight line, low volatility, the calendar hurts. You know, we're still squeezing out this valuation bubble that came out of the retail thing. Um, but I, I, I'm 90% confident that this is a healthy correction. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm 99% confident you buy it here. You're going to be up in, in a month to three months. So. Yeah, and I, Gosh. I, I like that. Uh, you know, I, I share the similar sentiment that the reason some of these stocks have gotten so oversold is because they, they did get maybe a little bit overextended, but it's a healthy drawback. But now we're, I mean, I, I pointed this out the other day, like we're getting to a point where on some of these <clears throat> tech stocks, I mean, we look at Microsoft, for example, has a 30 31 PE. I mean, Amazon is trading right now at, at it's a damn value stock at, at three at three at a three point one price to sales. So uh, I, I said internally the other day, sorry to interrupt. I actually yeah. said I think this is the best bite at the apple at FAMG, uh, you know, that you've had mm -hmm. in I, mm -hmm. I think probably the last decade. And again, what I like about the market right now is if I'm wrong about the economy, I still think I'm right on sentiment and RSI and put call, et cetera, and you're still going to make 10, 15% on your money on, a, on an uptrend, okay? And if I'm right about the market, you're going to make 30. What I'm not saying, though, is go out and buy GME and AMC. I, I've got a very unorthodox theory. What happens if out of this, what if this year's totally normal? Bad stuff goes down, good stuff goes up. You know, we don't have huge outperformance of any other areas except things that are really kicking butt. Like, you know, wouldn't that blow people's mind if it's just a normal year, not the craziness that we've seen the last few years? So I think it's a great time to be oh. short stuff. I think it's a great time to be long stuff. Um, although net net, I would I am a buyer here. And I've been if you follow me on Twitter, Spencer, um, I uh, like I've been very, very, uh, um, very, very vocal about my views across the last week or so. And I got to say, when I'm confident in an opinion, I want someone to come and fight me. But when I'm not confident, when I'm like a little bit confident and someone comes up against me, I don't like that because now I'm wavering. And so I'm like, I, I've had this belief that we're going to just yo-yo and zigzag and be a, it's going to be a chop fest the whole, you know, the whole year. But I'm not confident in that take at all. It's just like sort of, sort of where my head is at. And, and But so now, I'm right, now, now, now I'm wavering on it. Hold on, though. If you're right, you should be buying at the bottom of the zag, which is right now. Well, I know it's hard to buy. I, I just think that we've gotten to it. Like, look, Apple's PE. Look, all right, let's just compare this real quick. Apple's PE 28. Uh, and I know PE can be misleading. Not always the best indicator. Costco's. Uh, what, 50? So, so hold on. Uh, where, wait, What's Costco, it? 60? Is it 60? No, it's 40. But either way, oh, I mean, okay. would you rather be buying Costco at a 40 PE or Apple I, at a 30 I, PE? I, I it's get a, it. At, and, and this is where we get to technical. Look at the RSI levels on these on these huge stocks. This is like Amazon hasn't been at this RSI level. I mean, God forbid Netflix, like which is just insane. Now they've got more. They've got a little bit more stuff going on. But you know, my friend Rich Greenfield said it the other day: is you know, uh, if you if you take the last two quarters, 
uh, or even the forward quarter, Netflix is on pace to add 20 million subscribers. 20 million. That's that's not, that's bad. not bad. You know, and, and so Netflix... you get a chance. Here, here's the thing about RSI. And you guys, I, I'm sure you've had people talk about relative strength index trading and all that. Like, even if you're wrong fundamentally, these kinds of RSIs give you incredible probabilities of making money when you're buying big liquid stocks that are winners. But, and what happens is 70, 80% of the time, you end up being right about the fundamentals of the stock too. My, my issue with RSI, I like it because it's very simple to understand, but my issue with it is it doesn't, it, it's, not a, it's not a timer. So things can, say, can stay overbought or oversold for extended so, periods of time. So when something goes below 30, wait till it goes back above 30 and buy it then. Ooh, I like that. I like that, but That's I think simple. when you get, I, I think when you get on the extreme ends of the spectrum, like if something is extremely overbought or extremely undersold, it'll it'll spend less time at those levels than if it was, if right. it was just moderately. Right. So the RSI of Netflix the map. is the RSI of Netflix is nineteen. Oh, you're, you're, okay, it's a little oversold, I suppose. All right. I'm yeah. Good. So, so I'll say two things. I'm going to say what you 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 said a little different. I think there are certain extremes with certain high level companies. Like, look, when we're talking about Netflix, we're not talking about some four hundred million dollar post spac. Those can trade in an RSI of friggin' five forever. Like, you know, you know yeah. this is Netflix, man. Like, it's a huge company with tons of cash on the balance sheet that's kicking ass. Netflix, it's they're growing like crazy. They're throwing off cash. Like, I mean, you know, enough of the throwing off a huge amount of cash. But but my point being is it's one thing to not want to buy an RSI of 10 in a micro cap D spec. It's another one yeah, to not want right. to buy an RSI of 10, 15, or 20 on Amazon and Netflix and Microsoft. So, but there's two strategies, right? You either, you can uh, you can take a shot on those super low RSIs, especially on these big caps, or wait until the market tells you it's okay. And that's what I've said about growth. I think we're probably 70 to 80% of the way through the growth, like, like deflation with what's going to happen is a bunch of garbage is still going to go to zero. But I said to people, wait until you get 30 to 45 trading days where the growth stuff is actually up from where it was before and that's okay. your signal to buy because so, so much of it's down 70 percent it could go up 50 and not even claw half the way that, that's a really good point we get asked every single day but some variation of arc and the stocks that are in arc arkk i've i've got the arkw but it's so small that it doesn't doesn't keep me up at night but like so looking at growth here and it's been punished Right. Yeah. How do you discern the good growth from the bad growth? Let the market tell you. Okay. So I'm going to say, I'll, I'll say, I have two comments. What, what I would do there. Number one, take things that are just no brainers Netflix, Amazon, Microsoft, you know, these biggest, even Shopify, you know, that we, we can, I think we can decide that there are, you know, 20 stocks that we can all agree on that are these real winners. Even then, though, I'm a little cautious. I want them to start going up. But instead yeah. of trying to tell the market what you want to do, let the market tell you what can happen. And again, I go back to this math. Take a stock that's down 70%, 80%, RSI's trading really low, et cetera. Wait for the RSI to go back above 30, but do this trailing performance thing. Because a stock that's down 70%, it can go up 30%. And to go to the old high, it can still double. You got that, right? That's math. And so what happens is I'm going to wait until the stocks are telling me that growth is bottom. I'm, I'm willing to take isn't shots. That, isn't that – that's an uphill battle though. That's what we're talking about. That's... So again, you, you're, it depends which kind of companies you're picking, right? If you have confidence in the earnings growth and the business model, then I think you can do that. Because what I'm also saying what – I, what I like about this year, there are a bunch of stocks that are down 80% that are going down another 100 and a year ago, they were, a year ago they were just going up. There are a bunch of stocks that are down 80 
that I think are going up a hundred. It's a different kind of market. That's actually called a normal right. market as opposed to the insanity okay. so, that we've gone through the last. Yeah. Years. Just drop us. A, you don't have to explain why, but just drop us a couple of tickers that you like and that, or that you don't like. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in the SPAC world, believe it or not. Uh, SPAC has become a dirty word uh, that begins with an S and it's not SPAC. Um, VWE uh, is uh, is a wine company that we've uh, spoken about. Uh, it's got real EBITDA reservoir. And so we don't, you know, look, we don't talk publicly about many, very many picks because we have a paid newsletter. So that's kind of yeah. that's kind of the fucking point. Reservoir Group is a, is a music label that, uh, you know, came public, that owns a lot of great rights. Um, I know a lot about that business because we work in that area. Um, those are two and these smaller... were both SPACs? These were both SPACs. Um, and yeah, by the way, we, we've, we've got a host of SPACs that we recommended being short six months ago, and they're all down 70, 80%. Um, I, think, <laughs> I, I think there's a lot of stuff also in the, in the, in the, in the media space. Um, you know, Liberty Broadband, which you guys may be familiar with. It's the holding company. It's Malone's holding company that owns his big stake and charter. They bought back 6% of their float in the fourth quarter. Okay. Wait, is that, is that, is that, that's not Liberty Media, right? Or is no, it... it's LBRDK, okay. Liberty Broadband. Okay. 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 So, um, I forget what, what it was before. Um, yeah. so Liberty Media is his, his parent company, but then okay. he's got all these different vehicles and like Lexmod, which owns Siri and stuff like that. Um, they bought back 6% of their float in Q4. And off the top of my head, I want to say Charter bought back like 3 to 5% of their float. So you've got Charter buying back all their stock and Liberty Broadband buying back all their stock. Cable's not going away. There might be some slowdowns and challenges. But when you're buying back a quarter of your shares every year, you know, guess what happens? You buy a quarter of your shares one year. And if you buy the same amount the next year, now you've actually bought 32. Oh. You've bought a third of your shares. Yeah. And you do it again. Guess what? Now you've bought 40% of your shares. And next thing you know, you're going private, and it's hard for a stock to go down in in that scenario. So, so we were talking about earlier. You know, some of the big stocks that we, you know, we expect, or if you're expecting 2022 to be a, a more normal year where you have money flowing out of some of these kind of crappy stocks and into some of the good stocks. I mean, it would be looking at leaps at some of these stocks that have been drawn down. Whether you're talking about Netflix, whether you're talking about uh, Google, you know, that's Shopify. something I've been looking at. Shopify, yeah, Shopify is down to eight hundred dollars. So, it was. I, I run like, a huge my my e-commerce business. We've grown from five million to uh, this month. We're going to do a million four of, of e-commerce. Five million two years ago. This month we'll do a million and a half of, of e-commerce just in the month. All driven on Shopify. It, it is a monster. It is a powerhouse. I think Shopify is a trillion dollar company. Uh, it has an ecosystem next to none next to no one else. So look, I think leaps on. Those already trillion dollar companies are very interesting. I like Shopify as that next group, though. You know, where it's where Shopify is where NVIDIA was, you know, a, a couple of years ago. But, but let's also be careful, okay, here. If we go into recession, and we can talk about that in a second, can Shopify get cut in half again? Yeah, man. Like, I mean, that, that's that, that's a thing. So you, you have to be thoughtful about that because some of the stuff we're talking about, the Liberty Broadband ain't getting cut in half. I mean, let's buy, then they just buy back all the stock, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, the Shopify trade would be a more high risk, high reward. Uh, I mean, Shopify's options are expensive anyway, let alone talking about leaps. I'm looking at them right now. It'd be, right. I don't even know if I can afford one of them. So let's, let's talk about this next time. We're up against the clock here, but Enrique Beta, Empire Financial Research, uh, at Enrique Beta on Twitter. Um, again, great follow. Check him out. Enrique, we would love to have, would love to have you back on here down the road. And just pick up where we left off here. Yep. Love to do it. Appreciate the time, guys. All right. Enjoy enjoy the rest of your Friday and the weekend. All right.
man, that was fun. I like he. I I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I'm like a little tired right now, but he like totally like lifted me up. He he yeah, he brought the energy, and he totally like amped me up here. So I I know I wanted to. The last question I was gonna ask him Sorry. was his thoughts on on Baba because uh, this is one that I'm I'm finally I'm pulling the trigger on. Uh, the, the company reports earnings next Tuesday. So if anyone's watching Baba, the smart thing to do is to wait till after that earnings report comes out on Tuesday. I'm not doing that. I, I just got into some calls. Um, but, wait. dude, I mean, it's literally trading at uh, – let me check this out real quick. Since, 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 you, since you mentioned earnings? Yes. Well, yeah, let's look at the earnings for next week. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, dude, wait. I mean, Baba is, uh, is at a 2.3 price to sales right now. It's a freaking joke. This company makes so much money. Yeah, but it's China, and I'm afraid. Okay, the, the <laughs> one thing I'll the one thing I'll say on that the one thing I'll say on that AMD just had their deal approved conditionally I know, I know. from a Chinese company. A lot of people were expecting that to get shot down. Uh -huh. That to me is a sign that China's right. getting. I don't know, right. Maybe maybe they're maybe maybe they're letting the company. Here's the calendar for next week: AMD Tuesday after the close. UPS, Exxon Mobil also on Tuesday. We got Qualcomm Wednesday. Meta slash Facebook is Wednesday. Ford, Amazon Thursday, Snap Thursday, Pinterest Thursday. There you go. Have fun. We got a hop. Moon or bus is coming up live next from this. Look, the background change. There's crazy NFT board apes behind us. So stay tuned. Moon or bus coming up next. Catch you guys. Love you guys. See close. you guys on Monday.